When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Adfreeshows.com has two can't-miss events this April. April 5th, the Nature Boy will join Adfree Shows members to watch his WrestleMania 8 title match against the Macho Man Randy Savage 30 years later. And then we'll celebrate 25 years since Barely Legal 1997 with Taz and Sabu joining us for a live watch-along on April 14th. This is your chance to watch your favorite wrestling moments with your favorite wrestling stars exclusively at Adfreeshows.com. Listen up, mucker fathers. If you just can't get enough of 83 weeks, we've got tons more waiting for you over at adfreeshows.com. Bonus episodes, all the archives with zero, yes, I said zero ads. Plus, we've got interactive events and experiences with yours truly. You can ask me anything. Chat one-on-one during our live locked and loaded events. And if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, we got to hang out the entire freaking weekend, and it was a blast. I can't wait for Top Guy Weekend 2022. Hey, want to hear me rip Greg Gagne, Vince Russo, and others a new one on our popular Eric Fires Back series? I eviscerate Twitter trolls on me tweet receipts, plus bonus watch-alongs and tons more. Do yourself a favor. Right now, Google the internet, and you won't find a better value in all of wrestling than over at adfreeshows.com. You not only get 83 weeks, but all of Conrad Thompson's podcasts early and ad-free and on video for as low as $9 a month. Come on, man. You can't beat it. Join the family today at adfreeshows.com. Hey y'all, it's Rebel with AEW. And when I'm not with the doctor helping her dominate the women's division, you can find me on adfreeshows.com every other Sunday, hosting my personal happy hour, Rebel's Happy Hour. And I would love for you to join me. It's an hour long of drinking, laughing, a little Q&A, maybe some guest surprises, and just chatting about whatever's on your mind. I promise it's a good time. And yes, it is all face-to-face. So do it now, do it today. Sign up at adfreeshows.com and become a top guy. And tell them Rebel sent you. You know, I get the question all the time. Conrad, I know you help people save money and you help people refinance, but could you actually help me buy a house? Yeah, buddy. Come on now. Buywithconrad.com is your hookup. And let me give you a heads up. You don't need a huge down payment to buy a house in 2022. In fact, you may not need a down payment at all. There are still loan programs out there that can get you out of your apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but buddy, we're doing it pretty routinely. 
And you don't have to be a veteran, but yeah, we can still help our veterans get into a house with no money down. But more importantly, we're going to help you get on the path to buy a house this year. You see, a lot of times we have these conversations and folks say, well, I've got a little bit of time left on my lease, or I'm not sure exactly when I'll be ready, or how much of a down payment do I need to save up? My advice, don't get ahead of yourself. Let's start the pre-approval process. Let's know what your new house payment could look like. You'll tell us how much down payment you want to have. Maybe the answer is zero. That's cool. And then you'll tell us what you want your monthly payment to be. And then you go shopping for your dream home. But step one starts at buywithconrad.com. And hey, did you know that when you go to file your taxes as a homeowner, you're going to get a statement back from your mortgage company that's going to say, hey, you can write off this amount of interest this year. How much of your rent are you writing off this year? None of it. Oh, and by the way, what's your interest rate on your rent? Well, that would be 100%, pal. You know you can do better than 100% interest. That's what rent is. Stop throwing your money away. And by the way, we can even help you get rid of your current house and get into a better house if you already have a house, but you think, you know what? It's time for a new place. We can help you at buywithconrad.com. That's buywithconrad.com, B-U-Y with Conrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. And be sure to ask about our green light underwrite. We can actually get your file completely underwritten, and that allows you to negotiate like a cash buyer at buywithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm just about perfect, man. It's another great day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day. Getting ready to go to Dallas. Have a great time. Meet some folks, have some fun on stage, be able to check off that bucket list item, you know, wanting to play live at Gillies since 1977, I believe, Urban Cowboy. It's been on my list and it's coming to reality. I'm pumped, man. So excited. Of course, we're talking about supershowlive.com. Uh, you can still go ahead and pre-order. And the rumor and innuendo is you get a Jeff Hardy trading card. That's not something that you've ever seen before outside of uh, TNA and WWE, this will be the most possible collectible Jeff Hardy card around in my opinion, but more importantly, come join us. We're doing a happy hour event right before we get on stage. You'll get to hobnob and hang out and spend a little time with Eric Bischoff, Jeff Jarrett, William Regal, and our man, Jeff Hardy. And then of course, we're going to take the stage and we've still got surprises. We haven't yet announced tickets are on sale right now at supershowlive.com. It's going down this Friday. April 1st at da- in Dallas at Gillies. And, uh, I think the rumor and innuendo is come Saturday, Eric Bischoff's going to be strutting around WrestleCon. Hope to see you guys there. Now I want to address the elephant in the room. We are going to be talking about Sid today, but you and I were out of pocket and we actually recorded some shows before we got out of pocket. And sadly we lost one of the all time greats, great friend of the show who was just recently on our show. And I think we might've actually accidentally gotten his last interview. Mr. Scott Hall is no longer with us and boy, the name of this show is 83 weeks. And I think you can draw a direct correlation to those 83 weeks and the success of Monday night nitro with the contributions of Mr. Scott Hall. And, you know, on the one hand, Eric, I'm I'm really glad that he's finally at peace. I think everyone listening to this knows about the ups and downs of Mr. Hall's personal life. And that's all been well documented, but on the other hand, selfishly, I'm sad he's gone. Because man, what a great mind for the business. We had such a great time at our live events when he would join us. And of course, just recently on the show and the idea that we can't do that anymore sucks for us, but 
man, what a life, what an influence. And I'm glad he's finally where he belongs at peace. Uh, what can you tell us about Scott Hall and, and when you, when you heard the news and as you've had time to reflect on his career and, and his impact in your life? I thought about it a lot, um, while I was away and of course doing a lot of traveling and, and, and spending time on the beach with you and your family, uh, was a great experience, but it was in the back of my mind a lot. And, you know, that day, May 27th, 1996 happened to be my birthday. It was one of the best birthday gifts I've ever, I've ever received. Obviously I didn't know it at the time. Um, but yeah, Scott Hall coming down, coming through the crowd. That was a magic moment. And it was a magic moment that propelled the industry to a level that I don't think we had seen before and may never see again. And Scott Hall had a lot to do with that. And, and, and I don't really want to say too much about Scott Hall as it relates to wrestling, because it's all been well-documented and there yeah. are other people better than me to, to make the, make, make some of those observations. Um, I just want to talk about Scott Hall, the person and Scott had his challenges. We all know that. Well, I don't really want to touch on it anymore other than to acknowledge it, but that's not what he should be remembered for. And certain people, and I count myself among them, um, got to know Scott at a different level, outside of the ring, away from the ring, and got glimpses of a very loyal, very generous, and a very caring person. Now, that all got overwhelmed and overshadowed at times with some of the other things that we've all read about and in some cases experienced, but at his core, I value loyalty just about more than anything else. And I don't think there's a more loyal person that I've met in the wrestling business. He's loyal to his friends. He's loyal to the business. I wish he would have been as loyal to himself, but he struggled with that. And he had baggage that none of us fortunately have had to deal with in our lives. But I just don't want people to forget, you know, I mean, he's like, since he's passed, you know, I was talking to DDP the other day and DDP shared some things with me that were really interesting and quite DDP ish. Uh, with regards to DDP's last conversation with Scott while Scott was in the hospital. But Paige said, you know, it's, it's amazing now since he's passed, people are treating him like James Dean and putting him on a pedestal as they should, because he was such a unique character. And even though so many of us were aware of the struggles he had, you couldn't keep him down when the red light was on. He, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. And we've heard friends of ours talk about feeling at home in the ring and that being the only place that they genuinely felt at peace. That was Scott Hall. But there probably won't be another like him. And like you and DDP, we talked about it. He's at peace. and. God bless him. 
tomorrow here, we've got a very special Scott Hall tribute show that I put together with Jake, the snake Roberts and diamond Dallas page. Uh, the name of their podcast is DDP snake pit. And, uh, I know there's a lot of wrestling podcasts out there for you to take a look at. I encourage you to not only listen to that one, but to watch it. We do it in video format. You can see it over on YouTube. You can enjoy it anywhere you catch podcasts too. Uh, but when DDP first made the correlation to me that Scott was the, the James Dean of wrestling. I just thought, man, how perfect is that? Because the word that was thrown around more for him in life and in death than any other is cool. And I saw your old pal Hulk Hogan thank him publicly for making him cool again, because candidly the red and yellow was not as cool as maybe it once was. And I even argued, and I want your two cents here. Cause I think we're on the same page. Scott Hall was so cool that if he wore something and then you tried to put that same outfit on somebody else, you might think, look at this idiot. Scott Hall puts it on. Okay. Well, that looks pretty cool. Yeah. You, you either are cool or you're not. And he was about the coolest guy to come through wrestling. And I don't know that the NWO with the success that it would enjoy with the t-shirts and, you know, in sports, they use the word swagger. He had that in spades and he had so much that it, it overcame. Listen, we've talked about a lot being critical of the NWO. There were too many members. We shouldn't have had Virgil. We shouldn't have had VK wall street. We shouldn't have had this guy, that guy, whatever. But Scott being the first guy made sure that the whole thing was so cool. And that shirt was so cool that it overcame any other shortcoming. I don't know that the NWO would have been as successful if Scott Hall wasn't the first guy, wouldn't you agree with that? More than agree with that. <clears throat> and what was really interesting for me during the, especially, the, especially the very beginning of the NWL. And again, you know, Hulk Hogan was not originally in my plans to be the third man sting was. And Hulk and I have never really talked about this, but when Hulk was in his movie trailer in California, making Santa with muscles, and was watching tape of Scott Hall making his way down and then Kevin Nash showing up. I mean, you, you'd have to be, you know, not paying very close attention to realize that there was something special happening. But what was really fascinating is not only did Hulk Hogan throw his hat in the ring and say, okay, I'm willing to turn heel. Even the previously a year before he turned it down as elegantly as he could <clears throat> while throwing me out of his house. <laughs> but when Hulk saw the magic and that magic was Scott Hall and then Kevin and the vibe Hulk Hogan came to the table in a whole different frame of mind because prior to that moment, when Hulk threw his name in the hat, we decided we were really going to go with it. <clears throat> and even shortly thereafter, Hulk Hogan was used to basically being the shot caller, you know, everything kind of revolved around Hulk. And in the case of the NWO, Scott in particular, and Kevin, Hulk realized that, hey, these guys have something special, and I'm either going to get that rub, and, and this is going to work, or I'm going to come out and kind of be the same, a different version of the Hulk Hogan character that everybody was familiar with. Hulk took a lot of cues from Scott and Kevin, a lot from Scott. And I think Kevin took a lot from Scott. You know, Scott had so much charisma and had such a feel 
can't even articulate it that I I'm sure Kevin and I know Scott, or I know Hulk, we're kind of looking at, at Scott as the guy who <clears throat> set the tone and brought the vibe that both Kevin and Hulk were able to kind of tag into. And it was that combination that became so successful, but I, at, at its core, man, it was Scott. It, it was just Scott. And you're right. He had so much charisma. He couldn't give too much away. You know, some people need to be careful about how much of a rub they give to others. Scott was, when I said earlier, you know, Scott was generous. One of the most generous people I ever met. That's kind of what I mean. He wanted everybody around him to get over. He wanted them to get over maybe more than he wanted himself to get over. He was that comfortable with himself. And he was so giving creatively. Sting, the Crow character that we're watching in AEW. That, that, that was Scott Hall's mind. That was Scott Hall describing that character in such great detail. And it was so vivid when, when Scott first shared his vision for that character for Sting and how Sting would interpret that character and present it, that we all just sat back. And I mean, I did. I was like, I was a fly on the wall. I just shut my mouth and listened because it was so cool. And Sting, his eyes were as big as silver dollars. And Hulk and Kevin and everybody got so excited about it. That's what I mean about being generous. I'm not talking about giving away his money or letting you take his car for the weekend. I'm talking about being creatively generous, which is rare. In a, in a wrestling business where it's a dog-eat-dog world and everybody's competing for a position and trying their hardest to get just a little more over than everybody around them. That's the nature, especially back then, of the business. And here, you know, you had Scott Hall just overflowing with creative and charisma <clears throat> that he was able to share without even trying. It's just so cool to watch. And, you know, I don't mean to speak for Hulk or Kevin, but I'd be shocked if either one of them didn't agree with me and admit that they took a lot of their character cues from Scott Hall. I don't know if you missed it, but we are doing something special in Dallas. It's happening on April fool's day, but you would have to be a fool to miss this opportunity. We've got William Regal on stage with a live mic. That's right. You're going to hear from him for the very first time about what really happened and so much more. Plus the elusive, the charismatic enigma, Jeff Hardy with a live mic in his hand to tell his story as only he can. And they're going to be joining myself, Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett. It's super show time. And you can pick up your tickets at supershowlive.com. It's all going down Friday night, April 1st in Dallas. And if you can't make plans to join us there in person at supershowlive.com, pre-order the pay-per-view fight is doing this pay-per-view for us and it's on demand everywhere in the country. But don't forget when you pre-order, you get that awesome Jeff Hardy trading card. I don't think Jeff Hardy's had a trading card that wasn't TNA or WWE specific. This is going to be very collectible. It's worth more than the pay-per-view, but you need to hurry and pre-order right now at supershowlive.com. But boy, the real value is joining us in Dallas, supershowlive.com. We've got an unbelievable happy hour. You'll get to get pictures and autographs with Jeff Hardy, with Eric Bischoff, with William Regal, and of course, with Double J, Jeff Jarrett, all before the doors open, you get the best seat in the house and you get to hear stories we've never told on the podcast. You can't find a better deal around than supershowlive.com. Seriously. 
price out meet and greets all you want. You add up Jeff Jarrett, you add in Eric Bischoff, you slide William Regal in there. And oh, how about a little Jeff Hardy sprinkle on top, buddy? It's the best value around. It's supershowlive.com. Make plans to join us Friday, April 1st in Dallas, Texas. That's supershowlive.com. And if you can't be there, pre-order the dog on pay-per-view. You'll be glad you did. That trading card is going up, up, up at supershowlive.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Time to tell you about something I'm super passionate about protecting your family. Yes, this is a life insurance ad for goliathlife.com. But to me, this is really about peace of mind. Think about insurance for a second. We all get medical and auto insurance, yet we never even know if we're going to have a need for it. Let me let you in on a little secret. You need life insurance. We're all going to die. Now, as you let that reality sink in, think about what would happen if your family stopped having your income tomorrow. If you don't have a plan for that, you need to visit goliathlife.com. And I mean, right now, and just personally, I've lost two friends in their forties this past year and a half. And I don't even want to think about what their families would be going through. Had they not had life insurance, if you don't have it, get it, protect your family. And I suggest you go to goliathlife.com because they've made the process of getting affordable life insurance. Super easy. Goliath Life streamlines the life insurance process by allowing you to get quotes for more than 20 carriers within minutes, and you'll pick your terms and payments to fit your budget. You pick your price, you start the online application immediately, and even schedule the medical exam to come to you. And I've done it. They sent someone to my office. I skipped the phone calls, the paperwork, and the crazy invasive conversations. Goliath Life makes buying life insurance simple. There's no hidden fees, no upsells, no hassle, hell, not even a phone call. Goliath life is life insurance in your hands on your time. Get multiple quick quotes right now from the comfort of your own home and begin your application in a few easy clicks right now at goliathlife.com. Such a, uh, such a special individual, such a wonderful career. Really, really excited that we got to, to talk about him a little bit today. Be sure to check out our tribute episode with Jake and DDP. But for now, let's try to transition. Let's talk about the topic at hand. We're talking about Sid. Been a lot of talk about Sid maybe getting his spot in the Hall of Fame sooner rather than later. Uh, and when you first joined WCW, Sid had already left WCW for the World Wrestling Federation. He would show up there as Sid Justice. I'm curious, when did you first see Sid? Not meet him, but did you see him on WWF TV, WCW TV? When do you remember first laying eyes on this this huge individual? Yeah, the first time I recall seeing Sid, he was in WWE. And my first thought was it looked like somebody carved his skull out of granite. Yeah. 
like it was already on some kind of a monument somewhere and they just transplanted it to this freak, freakishly impressive body. I mean, he just talk about a look, talk about checking all the boxes from a physical presentation. Holy smokes. But yeah, it was WWE is when I first saw him. I got to admit as a kid, he was the guilty pleasure for me. I mean, I, I, I was convinced this was the biggest, baddest dude around the facials, the size. He was so imposing. Um, I think if you drew up what you thought a wrestler looked like and you just handed a kid, a, a crayon and a blank sheet of paper, they might draw something that looks like Sid. Uh, of course, Sid blows in and out of the WWF and what feels like record time for a top guy <clears throat> between feuding with Hulk Hogan and main eventing WrestleMania at the Hoosier dome. There's a proposed program with the ultimate warrior and then a supposed drug test violation. And he winds up playing softball until WCW calls in 1993. Uh, at that point, I'm curious, did you reach out to Sid vice versa? How do you remember that coming to be where Sid came into the company? Yeah, it wouldn't have, <clears throat> if it was 1993, it wouldn't have been me because I wasn't calling creative shots or talent shots in 1993. Uh, so whoever was booking at the time, and I have to go back and see, cause we had, it was kind of a revolving door of bookers at that time, but I'm guessing in 93, um, I don't even want to guess cause I'll be wrong. <laughs> it's a 50, 50 shot. I'll be wrong, but no, I wasn't me. Um, just what that wasn't my wheelhouse at that time. What can you tell us about your first conversation with Sid? Do you remember like, what's your vibe? You know, a lot of times people remember, Oh, I remember the first time I met him, we were at blah, blah, blah. Maybe you don't you know so much story. of the, so much of the interactions that I had with talent before 94, 95, 96 was just course of business type of conversations. If I was prepping to interview somebody like Sid, I would have a conversation, but it wasn't a personal conversation. It wasn't a get to know each other type of thing. Um, it's very superficial professional, but not too deep. My really first genuine interaction with Sid was when I decided to bring him back and to hire him. Um, because I, 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 at the time I had my own plane and Sid was living in, I think he was living in Mississippi at the time. Could be wrong. Wherever he was living, Arkansas, probably Arkansas. Yeah. And, uh, I was living in Atlanta and I jumped in my plane and flew to his hometown myself, landed there and went to Sid's house. And I had heard and in, in experience because, you know, pretty obvious went through some interesting times with Sid and Arn and all the craziness, but, um, what a genuinely nice guy, you know, and it, it, it what I think I remember most is, wow, you know, it's funny how when you see guys, especially guys who have, you know, kind of a controversial reputation when it comes to the way they handle the locker room and the relationships with different people. And look, WCW was a very political kind of doggy dog environment. No, no mistake in that. But you see people in that environment and then, and you gain an impression of them. And then you meet them when they're away from that environment. Right. And they're really different, many of them, some of them. And Sid was very different. Sid was about as easygoing and laid back and just grounded. And that was something that I didn't see professionally, you know, on location with Sid. Never got to know him that way. But in his own element, 
he's about as down to earth of a guy as I've ever met. My conversations with him were, were very one, were very genuine. Talked about his life and why he liked living where he lived. He was a country boy. And I get that, you know, take a look around me. <laughs> I, I, I could relate to that. He loved living out in the country. So we got along really well. And I, I really developed an appreciation for Sid when I got to meet him on his turf instead of in a backstage venue. The whole Sid Arn thing is going to happen in late 93, but by the time you actually meet with him, uh, and I know you were talking about with a plane, so that was later and we'll get there, but do you heard, cause this was one of those really famous stories, 1991, supposedly there's a bit of an incident with Brian Pillman and it looks like it's going to, you know, result in some fisticuffs. Maybe there's some alcohol flowing and whatnot. And yeah. here comes the dreaded squeegee as the legend goes, there was the squeegee incident. I'm sure <laughs> that that is something that you at least heard about, right? I did, but I, I didn't pay too much close attention to things like that because I, like I'd been around enough wrestling stories and, and, and been in the locker room for several years by that time. And I knew that I knew well enough to believe half of what I saw and none of what I heard. There you go. So <laughs> I, I heard it, it registered, but it didn't make an impression on me. I didn't judge anybody or anything. And I, I've always tried to stay away from judging people in situations that I wasn't involved with or didn't have a connection to or witness. And this is another one of those because it so often happens. Those stories, they start out here yep. and then they get a little bigger and they get a little bigger and they get a little bigger. And by the time that story is told and retold a couple, three, four, five dozen times, it is a completely different story than reality. I'm not saying it didn't happen or it didn't happen exactly way the way legend tells it. But I'm not sure it did either. So I just, I never paid attention to things like that. So Sid, uh, is going to make the news that in early May, there's a preliminary agreement reached between himself and WCW at that point in 1993, are you helping make those deals or structure those deals or what would your involvement have been? No, uh, I mean, I, I, I was aware of the conversations again, that was a talent relations type of an issue and a talent issue. So I would be aware of the conversations and I would be current. I would know where things stood, but I didn't get a vote. Nobody asked me my opinion, um, in terms of what to do or how to do it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was very much aware, but it wasn't my call. And, I, you know, I didn't have an opinion. I'd share an opinion if somebody asked me. But um, I was more or less a bystander in that process for the most part. So Colonel Robert Parker announces on Saturday night, which in this era is the primetime show. I mean, there is no Nitro. So WCW's flagship show is Saturday night. And Colonel Robert Parker announces that he went down to Memphis after calling Elvis Presley and found the greatest monster in wrestling today. And he'll be on television soon. Uh, and it's reported in the observer that Colonel Robert Parker coming in and introducing Sid was Sid's idea in hindsight. Was that the best way to bring him in? What'd you think of that pairing? 
In retrospect, you know, at the time, I guess I didn't have too much of an opinion because again, that wasn't my wheelhouse. So I tried not to spend too much time, burn too many calories, worrying about or investing in things that weren't under my control. Yeah. It was a waste of time. So I just took what I had to work with. It's kind of my approach. I let other people make those decisions. Um, Overall though, what do you think? I didn't Robert- let them make them those, those decisions. Those decisions were made because it was not my responsibility. That was the structure at the time, right? WCW had, you're handling television. Somebody else is handling every, the other component. I I, I could, I I could make a determination on graphics and what kind of lighting packages we wanted. And to a large degree, you know, venue location and things like that. Well, what kind of camera lenses to use in an open wide shot. I had a lot of input on that stuff, but not when it came to talent. Now, my opinion I'll give you my opinion in retrospect. Um, I, I wouldn't have done it. Um, Colonel Rob Parker was great, but he wasn't a serious character. He was more of a parody character. He was kind of like Jimmy Hart in a way, only bigger. <laughs> um, he wasn't serious enough to create any kind of danger or credibility. God, I hate to say it that way. Because Parker was an amazing performer. But if you're bringing, if you're going to bring somebody in who can presumably eat your locker room, do you want a parody manager to be the person to introduce that character? Perhaps not. But again, that's 2020 hindsight. Everybody gets to be a genius when you get yeah. to look at things from a 2020 hindsight perspective. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, guys, check this out. I'm so excited to share this with you. We've been working on it for a long time, and we've got two incredibly special events coming your way. I can't believe this is real, but we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of one of the most important pay-per-views in history, one of my personal favorite pay-per-views in history. Of course, I'm talking about Barely Legal 1997, ECW's very first pay-per-view. Paul Heyman convinced the boys and us, the fans, that this was the dance. And finally, we were going to see Taz and Sabu. Boy, they built that match for what felt like years. And now they're finally going to hook it up only on pay-per-view. And I can't believe this is real. Buddy, the 16-year-old in me is so excited for this. We're going to have Taz and Sabu do a watch along of that match and take your questions about Barely Legal 1997. What was going on in front of the camera? But more importantly, what did we not see behind the camera? These guys have never done this before, but they're going to do it together with us on April 14th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And yes, you can be there. Yes, you can ask questions. It's all happening at adfreeshows.com. But buddy, before that, do we have something special in store? I'm talking April 5th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Mark your calendars down. The nature boy. That's right. Ric Flair is going to join us live as we watch back his classic WrestleMania 8 title match. It's Ric Flair, the Macho Man. It's for the world title. 
and it's 30 years this year. Can you believe it? It's been 30 years since WrestleMania 1992, and we are going to talk about what could have been with WrestleMania 8. I think everybody expected it to be Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Instead, it was the Macho Man. And what a match it was, by the way, these are both happening at adfreeshows.com. a $29 level membership on adfreeshows.com gets you a seat for not one, but both events along with the access to all the content on the site or become a top guy member to come up and ask your questions live with Taz Sabu. And yes, the nature boy that's two can't miss events in April at adfreeshows.com. That's the only place you can do this. Check it out. If you haven't already adfreeshows.com. You don't want to miss this. Hey, here's a heads up. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel like stress, anxiety, or pain feels is a better way to feel better. And if you're struggling with sleeplessness or nervousness, or just looking to relieve some pain without the harmful side effects, we recommend feels feels as a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness, and there's no hangover or addiction. You place a few drops of feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and really everyone's dose is different. In fact, feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so that you can find your perfect dose. The Fields customer service team is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use out of your CBD. Joining the Fields monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save time and money on every order, and you can pause or cancel anytime. So start feeling better with Fields. Become a member today by going to Fields.com slash 83 weeks, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's Fields.com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken off your first order with free shipping that's feels.com slash 83 weeks that's f-e-a-l-s.com slash 83 weeks that's feels.com slash 83 weeks what do you think of the guy behind the character robert fuller i enjoyed him i mean again you get to know him real well we never socialized outside of business but gosh working with him was could not have been easier and I enjoyed his work. You know, I don't want anybody to think that's listening to this that I didn't respect Robert Parker's work as a manager. I thought, you know, him and Sherry Martell together. Are you kidding me? With with Harlem Heat, are you kidding me? Some of the best stuff, and I know it could be considered controversial by today's standards, but whatever. I'm just talking about the performance and the entertainment value that he brought to the table off the freaking charts. Who's better than who is better than than Colonel Rob Parker and Robert Fuller, the person cooperative, came up with ideas, team player, always smiling, always cutting up backstage, keeping the mood light. I don't think I ever saw him with a frown on his face. I don't think I ever saw him without a smile on his face. So I I, I thoroughly enjoyed working. Boy, how fun is this? It's reported in the observer that the original pan for beach blast, which is going down in Gulfport, Mississippi, for those of you keeping track is Sid and Vader teaming up to take on sting and the ultimate warrior. Now, of course we know the ultimate warrior didn't wind up coming in. Instead, it's going to be Davy boy Smith taking the spot that probably made it for a much better match. But at this point, 
warrior is on the outs and the idea that he might be getting back into wrestling after the incredibly popularity run that he had and in WWF, that probably would have been a, a home run idea. Do you remember hearing the whispers that what if we got warrior back here in 1993, that would have been a, an amazing idea on paper. And then when it came to reality, it might've been something different than that. I, I don't remember hearing that was no, I'm not again, not saying it didn't happen because I wasn't in that circle and it may have been discussed in a creative meeting. Hey, what if we could do this in, in, in a kind of a dream list manner, but I don't, I don't recall ever hearing any serious conversations about it, or I, I don't remember hearing any conversations about it again, not saying it didn't happen could have, but not in a serious way. So Sid makes his actual return at Slamboree. He's going to come out and get a huge face pop and squash Van Hammer in 35 seconds. Meltzer yeah. writes, I can't imagine what gets into the people who run this company to wave red flags at the DEA. Uh, probably the best way to use him in hindsight, you know, get him out there and, and give him an opportunity to do what he does best. Be this big imposing presence, hit a power bomb on another jacked up dude and hit the pay window. As Mance Warner would say, what say you? Yeah. I mean, I th- look, you know, squashing Van Hammer was a smart move. Whoever booked that was thinking clearly, um, if you want to get a guy over, uh, and Van Hammer had a great look to him. Yeah, he uh, did. that would have visually would have been very impressive to the passive viewing audience. Now the more hardcore audience that wanted to see a great match, you weren't going to get that. Right. But you've got a great moment. And what, a you know, with a guy like Sid, especially if you're bringing him in as a man killer and this, you know, devastating beast of a human being, that's going to lay waste to anybody that gets in his way. How else are you going to do that? Are you going to put him out there in a 20 minute match and ask him to do hurricanradas and <laughs> you shoot off the top rope? That's kind of defeats the purpose. So I, I think the creative was kind of charted very well and made a lot of sense at the time. I think one person ever asked him to do something off the top rope and we know how that wound up. Yeah. No kidding. Right. Let's not. <laughs> so Sid and Vader are called the masters of the power bomb. And in the same breath, it's in the observer that fans were singing. Take me out to the ball game during a TV taping because of his softball softball exploits. I find that hard to believe. This is way pre-internet. I, I don't know that there would have been enough folks at a live event who would have known the inside baseball about Sid and softball. That seems a little far-fetched to me. Let's say you. Not really. Not really. Again, keep in mind that WCW audiences were really small back then. Okay. This was not 1996, 1997, 1998. We're talking about 92, 93, whatever. Um, you're looking at 1,500 people buying a ticket maybe for a pay-per-view. Yeah. Maybe. You, you're talking about television tapings that were, you know, if we were lucky, we'd have six or 700 people there. And most of those were dirt sheet fans, you know, a percentage of them. And that's where that stuff starts. That's where it started back then. Yeah, there was no internet back then. There was no social media back then, but there were dirt sheets back then. Holy smokes. That's Sid calling right there. He's, He's got calling. something to say to you. If it's Hulk Hogan, that's answer my, it on the air. That's my wife. <laughs> um, 
she doesn't really want to talk to me. She's just checking in. She feels she has to. Uh, she's in Florida with uh, my son and my daughter-in-law and Way Way J. So she's still down in Florida. But no, it. Um, where were we? Well, we're before. talking about how fans might have actually been singing "Take Me oh, Out oh, to oh, the oh, Ball yeah. Game." No, that was you know when you've got a really small audience and a percentage of them, you know, are dirt sheet fans that know kind of the issues because of people like Dave Meltzer. Right. Um, yeah. They're going to latch onto it. They're going to chant. They're going to have fun and people will join in and don't even know what the hell they're talking about or why they're chanting it, but Hey, it's fun and it's getting a reaction. So let's be a part of the show and chant. Yeah. And, and, that, and that is what makes wrestling fun, but let's talk about something that's really fun in this era. And boy, we've had fun talking around it for a while, but let's just jump right into it. It's the beach blast mini movie. <laughs> and boy, this has been mocked forever. Uh, the observer says it costs like $80,000 to film and produce, uh, let's state now where this lies. A lot of folks have said over the years, this is a Sharon Sadello thing who authorized it. What'd you think of it? Did you re- think this was just an egregious waste of money? Did you think it could have been good? Where did you stand on this mini movie concept? It was Sharon Sadello. Uh, Sharon Sadello reported Sharon Sadello is a VP of marketing. Um, and she basically oversaw pay-per-view Mike Weber worked with her for her. Not really sure what, what his dotted line was. I think he, I think he reported to, to Sharon Sadello, Sharon Sadello reported to Bob do and Bob do was the one that authorized it. Now I, I didn't think too much about it you know, from a, from a financial perspective, again, not my budget, yeah. not my concern. I didn't get to vote. So guess what? I didn't give it too much thought. Yeah. Um, creatively, I'm not going to lie. I thought it was pretty interesting. I I, I don't want to say cool, but it, look, we're trying new things at that time. Again, easy for us now all these years later to look back and go, that was fucking stupid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You believe they spent $80,000 for that. But at the time, look at what WCW had been doing. You know, the, 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 the television production value for WCW was so piss poor and had been for so long. There was no emphasis put on it. It wasn't important. And WWE at the, at the time, you know, television production was the most important thing. The quality of the television production for WWE, even back then, was like it was something we all aspired to. We all wanted to be, you know, half that good if we could, but we weren't and we couldn't. So when Sharon was able to get the approval to put all that together, I didn't have a negative feeling about it at all. I thought, okay, well, at least we're stepping it up. If we want to get bigger, we want to become more successful. By God, we got to do something. And if that something is putting more money into a dramatic kind of presentation to promote the pay-per-view, then I'm all about it. I, I just didn't have um, much of an opinion beyond, great, at least we're doing something. At least we're trying. So, I mean, that's pretty much where I came out on that. By now, you know that everything is crazy overseas, and, well, that's created some volatility in the market. We actually saw rates tick down a little bit this week, 
We don't know how long it'll stay that way. All the experts are predicting that there is going to be a rate hike this month in the month of March. Some are saying 25 basis points. Others are saying 50. What does that mean? It means waiting will cost you money. And by the way, I want to mention, this is still a once in a lifetime opportunity, just based on your real estate values. You see, all of a sudden your house is worth considerably more than it was just a couple of years ago. And as a result, you can use that newfound equity to change your life. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners take their 30 year loan and pay it off in half the time. And how can they afford to do that without their payments going sky high? We get rid of all their other debt. And I mean it as a heads up. What would you do if you had no credit card debt? Just like that. It was all paid off. How much easier would life be if those car payments, they're out of here. No more car payments. That is the story that we're able to help our friends and family with at SaveWithConrad.com. You see, the interest you pay on your credit cards, not tax deductible, and sky high. The interest you pay on your car loans. Buddy, where is that going? What if we could restructure all of your debt, use some of this newfound equity, and at the same time, get you out of debt faster? You see, what we're talking about is reducing the time on your mortgage. Yes, we're going to get you a great rate. But if you're in a 30-year loan, think about what your life looks like 30 years from now. Man, life gets a lot easier when you're completely debt-free, and that's what we want to help you do. And by the way, you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And oh, as a heads up, if you've been thinking, hey man, I like my house, but my kitchen's kind of outdated. What if we could get you the cash you need to turn your average kitchen into something your wife loves and it wouldn't change your monthly payment at all? Why wouldn't you do that? You see, you'd be reinvesting back in your own property. That's going to make your house worth even more. And oh yeah, you can do it with cheaper monthly payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Now I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to go check out our reviews for yourself. See what some of our new family members are saying at ConradReviews.com. You'll see there, we've got over a thousand verified reviews. Our average rating is 4.72. And if we were a restaurant with a thousand reviews and a 4.72 rating, I know where you're eating dinner and I know where you need to do your next loan. It's SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? That's SaveWithConrad.com. So if you have a pet, you know, they're part of the family and fuzzy knows there's nothing that compares to coming home to a wiggle butt or waking up to soft purrs. And that's why we want to keep our pets healthy and make them as happy as us. Fuzzy is a telehealth service for pet parents that offers 24 seven access to personal pet care from veterinary professionals from everyday questions to middle of the night emergencies. Fuzzy has the answers that pet parents need. Through live chat and virtual vet consultations available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Fuzzy can answer your pet questions, big and small, urgent and every day. Fuzzy can also recommend the exact right products for your pet, all of which are handpicked by their established team of veterinary professionals and available at discounts exclusive to Fuzzy members. From getting your pet's diet just right to meeting their middle-of-the-night needs to finally figuring out what makes their breath smell that way. Nothing is too big or small for a quick fuzzy call. Right now, Fuzzy is offering our listeners a free seven-day trial membership. Go to yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks today to sign up. That's a free seven-day trial at yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks. And for a limited time, Fuzzy is also offering a special discount of $20 off any of your pet's product needs. Pet meds, supplements, food, and more with promo code 83 weeks 
That's yourfuzzy.com slash 83 weeks for your free trial of fuzzy with access to 24 seven personalized pet care and vet recommended products. So let's talk a little bit about, um, the observer and what they wrote about this whole situation. The hierarchy of world championship wrestling needs a thorough house cleaning. The problem isn't trying to identify who wrote and came up with the scenario in which sting Davy boy, Sid Vader, Harley race, and Parker were all involved in a reported $80,000 mini movie production to build up bash at the beach or beach blast. Rather the problem wasn't even in the decision to go with the same idea to build the pay-per-view for the third time in nine months after the second expensive attempt failed miserably. The problem is with an organization which has so many supposed checks and balances in its hierarchy, yet absolutely no understanding of what its product is, what its audience is, and that none of those checks and balances stop the mini movie that everyone has spoken about in and out of the organization is admitting is a total embarrassment. So let's take a time out right there. I mean, do you think that really is maybe the biggest issue that WCW had, there was so much of a hierarchy and I I guess he didn't use the phrase, but maybe red tape, like maybe the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. Maybe WCW didn't, the higher ups didn't really understand how to promote wrestling. And we just had a bunch of people who were quote unquote doing their jobs. I, I, I have a hard time even thinking about what Dave said too much. Um, there wasn't checks and balance. <laughs> and that's what's so absurd about, you know, Dave Meltzer's writing about the internal structure of a company that he didn't even, had never been in. He'd never set foot in. He knew nothing about or the people in it. But he was making that observation from his basement in San Jose, wherever he lived. Um, the opposite was true. There was no bureaucracy or red tape. It was the opposite of that. It, it, it was organized chaos and there were no checks and balances. That was the problem. Let me give you an example of the bureaucracy and the organized chaos. And one of the big reasons that, you know, Bob Dew and I, well, Bob Dew ended up leaving the company and I ended up taking over control because Bob Dew and Don Sandifer, who were in charge of live events, amongst other things, live events reported to, to, to Bob Dew, you know, their solution to the, the, the challenge of losing money in the live event part of our business was to do more live events. Right. Not, not fix what was broken, not analyze why we're not making any money, just keep do, doing more of it. And there was nobody to say, hey, that's kind of dumb. Yeah. Let's not do that. Well, there was somebody, and that was me, and right. that's what caused kind of a, a rip. I mean, I again, it wasn't my call. I didn't get a vote, but when we would sit in executive meetings and you know everybody would go through the list of, well, here's what we're going to do, and here's what we're going to do in, in the different departments, and I'm sitting back. I'm in charge of graphics and lights and shit like that, and I'm listening to this. I'm going, geez, guys, wait a minute. I suck at math. I'm horrible at math. But even I can figure out that the solution to losing money every time you go out the door is to go out the door less often until you figure out what's broken and right. fix that. That was more of the problem within WCW. Now, with regard, you know, an $80,000, you know, commercial for a pay-per-view in the big scheme of things, you know, if a pay-per-view, even a piss poor one back in that day, you're generating a million and a half, $2 million worth of revenue, whatever it did. I don't know. Um, 
kind of not that bad of an investment if you're trying to build interest in something that previously had no interest in it, or at least not enough. So I, I think, again, it's an example of someone on the outside who doesn't really know what's going on on the inside, but trying to write and have an opinion that makes it sound like they do. That's all that was. The little man on the boat, the little guy swimming around with a fin on his back, putting a bomb on the boat. Uh, where does <laughs> where here's the thing. When you take somebody like Sharon Sadello, who was, you know, she's a smart woman. You know, I think she graduated, got her degree in marketing from Syracuse university and she was not stupid, but she was operating outside of her wheelhouse. Yeah. She thought she was better at something than like producing uh, creative. She thought she was a lot better than she really was, but she had the authority because of her position as a VP of marketing and a budget to go along with it to try. And that's what she did. She tried. I thought it was silly, and stupid in a way, but again, I, WC people, you have no idea when you, when you, in 1993, what was WCW, a $20 million a year company that was losing eight or 10 or $15 million a year in the process. Wow. Like you gotta try something, you know, what you've been doing is not really working. So should we cut back on our production budget? Should we scale back even more or should we try to be more entertaining in our approach. And yes, it was entertaining. It didn't really resonate with, with the wrestling audience, especially the wrestling audience on TBS, which is where we were at that time, Saturday night, six Oh five, Sunday night, six Oh five. And then we existed in syndication. That was the extent of our distribution for the product. And I think what Sharon did and so many people like her who were trying to be a version of WWE. They were looking at the things that WWE was doing and trying to be like them. The difference was that WWE had decidedly carved out a really powerful niche in the teen and preteen audience. That was their core audience, not 18 to 49 year old men, not 25 to 54 year old men. Well, that kind of, tongue-in-cheek promotion, high entertainment, less wrestling uh, necessarily. Um, that worked for WWE because their core audience was teen and preteen. That was their business model. That's where they made all their money. We're over on TBS. Our audience was 25-54, probably stronger in the 35-54 to 54 category, and maybe even older. So that same kind of entertaining little man in the boat, shark fin, silly shit, while that a version of that maybe would have been a little more effective in WWE at the time because of their core audience and their target audience. In WCW on TBS, when you've got, you know, the average age of our audience was probably in the late 40s, early 50s, it didn't work so well. But that was more of not, and this is where I would probably agree with Meltzer, even though he didn't know why he was saying it. They didn't know their audience because they, they were trying to feed what they saw in WWE or version of it into the mouths and minds of a much older audience. And it, it just disconnected. 
I, uh, I just chuckled just reading back the observer here. Cause you know, some of the stuff you just forget. I remember the little guy, but I kind of forget this is what was written. It wound up with a dwarf wearing an eye patch, swimming with a shark fin, putting a bomb on a boat that sting and Smith used to get to get Gilligan's Island. Two very young girls saw the dwarf. The heels then took a boat ride to Gilligan's Island. And the only positive thing is they didn't let Harley drive the boat. <laughs> Boy, that's inside. I mean, you baseball. Think it is entertaining, right? It Dude, is just that sentence makes you smile. I mean, listen, a, a lot of times I think we forget that, you know, I'm 40. <laughs> this is not for me. So if I'm looking this, looking at this and judging it through the eyes of a 40 year old, I'm missing the point. And I have to remind myself that a lot, uh, <laughs> when I was a little kid and the million dollar man came out and had a dollar sign, fake gold, fake diamond encrusted belt of nothing but dollar signs. I thought it was the coolest thing ever as an adult. When Naomi came out on WWE TV with a lit up led belt, I thought it was the <laughs> dumbest thing I'd ever seen. I didn't get a chance to say that because my daughter to my left said, Oh my God, dad, isn't that the coolest belt ever? And I realized, wait a minute, this is her million dollar belt. And I'm sure my dad, when he saw the million dollar belt said, this is the dumbest shit ever, (laughs) but it's not for me. This is for kids. It's designed. It's a kid's show. And, and, And if you're not sure of that, go take a look at the way the merch was marketed. I mean. I know that these days, a lot of adults collect action figures, but back then most of us assumed those are toys for kids. Now it's different. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. I'm just saying the WWF had consistently dominated the market share of children and the NWA skewed older. These days, everybody is a, is a demo expert, but I I would, I would bet if you go back and you take a look at the height of the four horsemen and the NWA and all that, they had a much older audience than those who were watching Hulk Hogan and the iron Sheik and all of that. You Uh, you just made my point. So it's not for us. It is fun for us to poke fun at, but at the same time, well, let's just break down the latest power Rangers episode that week, because that shit was blowing and going back then too, but we're not going to do that because we're going to say, well, that's for kids. This was too. So it's easy for us to get upset about it. And Lord knows we're going to have fun with it. And when you read the sentence, it is hilarious, but besides the dwarf with an eye patch, swimming with a shark fin, putting a bomb, that's a great sentence, an all time <laughs> sentence in the history of the observer. Sounds like a set, sounds like a setup for a stand up routine, but the finish of the only thing positive about that is they didn't let Harley drive the boat. Let's me know. Dave Meltzer is a funny guy when he wants to be, if you're not familiar Harley had a horrific boat crash once upon a time, and maybe those alcohol involved and maybe you should Google it. But the point is this was not for us either way. The debut at the clash also features this six man Vader, Sid and Rick rude taking on Dustin Rhodes, sting and Davy boy Smith. Uh, thankfully everyone survived the bomb so they can wrestle and Meltzer says good pacing and the action was largely good. Although the Sid vicious package has the world's greatest wrapping, but it was totally empty inside the finish saw Vader hit Rhodes with a briefcase. Rick rude brought in rude scored the pin. And after the match, Smith got stuff power bombed until sting got the briefcase and the heels ran off three stars. I find it interesting. You can always tell when you go back and you read the observer who Dave liked and who he didn't like, but you hear this knock a lot. 
The Sid vicious package has the world's greatest wrapping, but it's totally empty inside meaning, okay, he's not the greatest performer, but boy, what a look. And I'm not comparing him to Hulk Hogan, but I am saying Hulk Hogan was the biggest star in the business at the time. And he had some great rapping. And I'm not saying that Hulk wasn't a better wrestler than Sid. Of course he was, but that wasn't as important when it came to drawing money. Like one of the best wrestlers in the world at the time, you could argue would be a guy like Barry Windham or a guy, another great wrestler is George South. George South could get a great match out of everybody. So could Brad Armstrong, but they didn't work a lot of main events because people were paying their money to see these larger than life characters. This is Sid vicious. Looks like he stepped out of a comic book and now he's here to kick ass. It's okay. If he doesn't do the world's best in Zagiri, right? And that same observation is still true today. Yes. And I, and I, and I think we're wrestling has gone over the last several years is there's so much emphasis on the work rate in the match that people have forgotten about stories and characters. And if you look at AEW, there's some phenomenal matches in AEW, absolutely phenomenal matches in AEW. How many people really care? Right. They're not stars. They're not, let me take that back. They're stars, but they're not getting the reaction and building the audience the way they should or could. Now having great matches and it makes guys like Dave Meltzer happy. You know, if all you want to see is a great match, I mean, I think what you mean, nowhere better to go than AEW. If you're looking for great wrestling matches, there's no place better to go than AEW, but they're flatlined at about a million viewers a week. What do you want to do? Do you want to grow your audience or do you want to satisfy the one you have? And those larger than life characters, whether they can do a great insecurity or not, are often the ones that kind of look at Bill Goldberg. Or The Rock, or, or or Steve Austin, or Hulk Hogan. To your point, what you're talking about is, yes, AEW has a roster full of stars, but we're talking about a transcendent star who is, you know, that Rock, Austin, Hogan level. Uh, and candidly, I don't know that WWE can do that right now either. I mean, I think they're not, they're, they're not doing it. And yeah. again, you know, because I get a lot of, you know, feedback, negative feedback here, because it sounds like I'm always chopping on AEW, you know. And you and I are close like family with Bruce Pritchard, who's yeah. deeply involved in creative. But what are we seeing? You know, the best thing that I've seen out of WWE creative has been Brock Lesnar's return because he's a different character. Yes. And he's more interesting now than he was the last time we saw him. Correct. But other than the transformation of Brock Lesnar in his return, what are we seeing that's really making us go, wow, that's really interesting? They're maintaining, but they're not introducing to us anybody that's, we're going to all go, that is the next Steve Austin. He's already on his way. I want to get on that ride. I'm tagging it. We're not seeing it. I, I know we're, we're very early in a sit episode. Boy, at this rate, we're going to have a nine hour show. And I'm sorry about that, but I do just want to sidebar here for a minute because I feel like sometimes people forget this is the wrestling business. And that second word matters a whole heck of a lot. So as we're now a few days away from WrestleMania, the show's not sold out. Um, a lot of folks don't think the show is going to sell out. I don't know if I believe that, but I would be maybe shocked if they sold out both nights, a legitimate sellout, but a lot of people would say, oh, that must mean business is down. And, and once upon a time, boy, that really was an indicator 
but the business of the wrestling business has changed so much that in the scheme of things, what we're talking about is, and I'm not trying to be dismissive here, a couple million dollars one way or another uh, on a gate, but by and large, that's not going to matter to WWE's overall bottom line. They had their biggest and best, most profitable year last year. And that was when they had WrestleMania. Yes, it was for two nights, but socially distance for less than half a house. So it's not to say that WrestleMania, whether or not there's an ass every 18 inches is an indicator that business is down. Now you could say live attendance is down, but whereas once upon a time, that was the primary revenue driver. Now it's just one on a, it's a line item, right? Yep. Yep. And I, and I think culturally we've changed yes. you know, our, as a country live events are, there's so much entertainment available in so many different ways in the comfort of your own home that it's, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm jaded. I'm cynical. I just take a lot for me to want to go to a live wrestling event and sit for three hours or six hours, two days in a row, whatever. Um, but people are just getting much more comfortable enjoying their entertainment in a different environment other than being in the arena. Now, WrestleMania is a different thing, man. There's people all over the world coming in from those places where they still can uh, to be a part of WrestleMania. It's the Super Bowl of wrestling. It's different. But is WWE's challenge Dallas or is WWE's challenge the fact that there's really nothing creatively that's so stimulating that people have to go see it live? Or I my take is, and this is a kind of a double-edged sword. I think the WWE is facing. They've been around so long. They've done it so often, so big and so well, that it doesn't have the newness to it anymore. It's not fresh anymore. And the talent that we're seeing in WWE is the same talent we've been seeing in some of the same positions for quite a long time. And when you combine that with the fact that people are just more comfortable getting their entertainment at home, because there's so much of it. It's so easy to get out of Peacock now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. Am I going to fight the traffic and the crowd and all the things that go along with it and, and the cost? Or am I going to sit at home with a bunch of my buddies, order some pizza, have a couple of beers and have a great time? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the latter. And I think a lot of people are like that. The live event business, I think, has changed so much over the last couple of years that using what the past using the past as a barometer to the current success when it comes to live events, probably not that smart. Well, here's something from the observer that, uh, probably all wish we had back again, buckle up buttercup <laughs> and almost, but not quite debut of a new tag team called the posse, formerly the ebony experience in global managed by Colonel Rob Parker. The original idea was for the posse to be brought out in chains and shackles to give the visual impression of a white Southerner leading two black men in chains and shackles. The idea, which was the brainchild of one Sid vicious, who was so impressed when working with the duo in a tag match at the Atkinson Memorial show in Dallas on April 2nd, he wanted to bring the duo in with the gimmick on them of being escaped murderers managed by Colonel Robert Parker. The idea was all dressed up and ready to go on TV. When Eric Bischoff, who didn't know the extent of the angle, nixed it as it was just about to be taped. When WCW president Bill Shaw found out about the idea, which almost ran, which no doubt would have caused even more negative phone calls. He found a finger pointing upper brass 
all trying to blame others for giving the approval of the idea. While Booker T and Stevie Ray are going to keep their jobs with WCW when they appeared at the television tapings Monday night, they were instead called Chi-Town Heat and had masking tape over their prisoner uniform numbers, and they will no longer be pushed as former prisoners. Thank the Lord you were there, Eric Bischoff. What do you remember about this day? I mean, that was, um, that was an interesting moment because I was stepping quite a ways outside of my box as the executive producer, where I got to be in charge of graphics and lighting and shit like that. And I kind of put my foot down and stopped it and basically blew up a creative idea that I had nothing to do with or any control over was not my responsibility, but my feeling was if this makes it to air, it's going to affect the television show. It's going, even though I'm not in charge of creative and I don't even get the vote, nobody asked my opinion. This can't happen on my watch. Can't didn't, but it, it, it was, it caused some shit caused a lot of shit. Um, Ole Anderson, I believe, was involved in that. It's hard for me to remember who was actually involved in that process because I wasn't in it, but likely Ole. Don't want to go too far beyond that. But yeah, it it was a controversial moment, as they say. I'm glad you put a stop to it. Let's talk about Beach Blast. It's uh, Sid and Vader taking on Davey Boy and Sting. And this is the main event. They're going to go 16 minutes and 42 seconds. They get three and three quarter stars. Vader's going to go for a backsplash, but Smith's going to hook him and pin him with the crucifix. You know, it's important for Davey Boy to get the big win here. He's been one of the top babyface talents over on the other side. We are trying to make new big babyface stars. I get that. But. Man, it feels like Sid in his debut, fresh off of a WrestleMania main event, or I don't know, kind of fresh. It was the year prior. It feels like, man, Sid just leaving some dudes laying could have been a good move here. What's your stance on pay-per-view just as a, a policy, if you will? Send them home happy, finish the TV shows with heat, and then send them home happy after a pay-per-view, or is that antiquated? No, I... We've got to send them home happy. I mean, happy. What does happy mean? You know, for someone like me, I love heat. Heat makes me happy. I get giddy when I see great heat. Um, But I think for the most part, if you're building baby faces, if you're building heroes, yeah, you can have those heroes, you know, the hero's journey, you know, go back to it. You know, your baby faces have to, face all kinds of struggles on their way to the journey. And that's what television is for. But pay-per-view is the last chapter in the story, presumably. Sometimes it continues. But if you're operating under the basis that, okay, let's have our heels face their challenges on weekly TV. Let's create in the audience a desire to see their babyface heroes eventually win. Let's condition that audience so that they're relatively certain that more often than not, they're going to see their heroes win on pay-per-view because they don't always get to see that on TV. I still believe that that's a good form. I mean, that's a story, basic storytelling formula. How many people want to go to a movie and see the star of the movie and the hero get their ass kicked and die at the end of the movie when you've been rooting for them all week or all 
hour and 19 minutes. And then the last minute of the movie, they get slaughtered and you go home unhappy. Why the fuck did I spend $20 on that movie? Ah, I'm angry. You don't want to do that with a pay-per-view. You want them to keep coming back every month or WCW's case in 1993, probably twice every two months, whatever it was. You want them to come back and invest in that pay-per-view because they have a sense that their heroes are finally going to overcome all the shenanigans that they had to deal with leading up to that pay-per-view. So you got to send them home happy or satisfied at least. Not not like cookie cutter. Can't do the same things every single time because then it's predictable. You got to mix it up a little bit. But for the most part, philosophically, I agree with send them home happy. The show does a hundred thousand buys, which these days would be considered a massive success. Uh, but it's the same as slamboree. So it's considered a bit of a disappointment here, especially when we've gone out and made this mini movie. Do you remember after making the investment again, not your call, but you know, that investment was made. The number comes back and it's not up. It's sort of flatlined. As you said earlier, do you remember people being disappointed? And, and why do you think that is? Do you think it's more about, and I, cause I have a theory here that a maybe, you know, people didn't like the video and, and I know I'm in the pro in the minority here. I think maybe it's a tag match. I know I'm, I'm I, I would, I would, I would agree with you on the tag match. Hard to, tag matches. What's the personal issue in a tag match? It's an yeah. exhibition. Yes. Exhibitions are great, but they don't drive big numbers, especially when they're not even normal tag teams. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. If it's road warriors versus Steiners, I don't remember that main eventing, but I could see why it would, but now we've got four single stars that we've put together and I don't know. It just. I think the one-on-one mono we mono that's, that's really what draws the best and, this, and, and, and the story and the journey yes. that people follow along the way. But if you take the personal issue out, you take the stakes out, you take all of those things out that people emotionally, typically in any form of entertainment invest in, you take those elements out, set them off to the side because, wow, this is a really cool match on paper. These are all big stars, but there's not, there's no story or very little um, th- th- there's no personal stakes. There's no personal issues, but wow, these guys are really big stars. This is going to be great. That's an exhibition. That's not a story and exhibitions don't drive. And th- here, here's another, you know, this is just a reality for WCW at this point in time, pre nitro WCW existed primarily on Saturday night, six Oh five Eastern three Oh five Pacific. Now, in the wintertime, for the majority of the country or a good portion of the country, um, there were more people watching television, households using television, hut levels. So in the wintertime, going into the spring, there's just more people watching. Guess what happened to WCW's television audiences at 605 Eastern, 305 Pacific in the summertime? They evaporated. How many people in your target audience are sitting at home watching television on a Saturday afternoon when the weather's nice? They're not. You lose a lot of your audience in the summertime. So the buy rates are affected by the number of people watching television. And that's why typically, you know, the the spring pay-per-views, spring stampedes, 
uncensored, you know, even in, in WCW, um, even Bash at the Beach. Those were tough pre-Nitro because the majority of our audience was out doing shit and not sitting in front of the television. That had a lot to do with it. Science tells us the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering our core body temperature. You see, temperature-controlled sleep repairs our muscles after a hard day's work, and it improves our cognitive function, so you always start your day feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, that's the one I have, and the Cube Sleep System. Both are hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. Imagine waking up and not feeling tired. Chili sleep can make that happen. For an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chili blanket. It's the only waiter blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. Head over to chillysleep.com forward slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 30% off the purchase of any new cube or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's chilly, C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up feeling refreshed every day. As you know, by now, I am a longtime believer in chili sleep and they've been advertising with us for, for a quite a while. This is the best offer they've ever had. They've never offered 30% off before, but they do right now. This offer won't last forever. So hurry to chilisleep.com forward slash 83 weeks. So Sid's going to start a singles program with sting. I loved doing that back in 1990 Halloween havoc, 1990 and their match. There was just so much fun, but this does feel like, ah, we've seen it before, but well, we've also seen Brock and Roman headline WrestleMania and here we are. So uh, we're back at it again. We're going to see Harlem heat and Sid headline a six man match here against uh Ric Flair, Davy boy and sting on a house show. And that's a pretty big deal for Harlem heat at this point in their career. And I know. We all sort of just groaned at maybe Sid's idea, but it is pretty cool that Sid's like, Hey man, these guys are badass. Uh, you gotta, you gotta sign them. You gotta bring them in. Hey, put them with me. So I know some of our listeners probably a few minutes ago, probably thought, well, Sid must be this or that. Well, okay. I hear you in theory, but the evidence says he got those guys gigs. And then he's like, Hey, put them with me. They're v- barely in the company and they're in the freaking main event. And that's gotta be because of Sid's influence, right? Well, Sid, <clears throat> Sid thought a lot of, of Harlem Heat, and I, I could be mistaken here, but I think I recall reading a story or hearing an interview uh, with Booker T where Sid let Booker T live with him for a while to, to, to help get his feet on the ground. So their relationship was well beyond just, hey, I've got an idea uh, for TV, and in Sid's case, as we previously discussed, kind of a bad idea, uh, but it wasn't because he didn't respect and like Harlem heat. So, um, you can't always judge people's actions quite as harshly as sometimes people think they can. Um, but no, they, look, Harlem heat, everybody was excited about Harlem heat. We're all, and they, they were great performers still. Well, obviously, um, we saw it then. a lot of people saw it then, and they were fun to work with. They were positive people to work with. 
that could go out and really perform. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's next for Sid here, because he's at the Omni on August 15th and he's working in a headline match, uh, Sting and Davy boy against Sid and Vader, but it's the Omni. And to your point earlier, there's only a thousand fans. <sighs> I mean, this building held so many folks. It, it guys and girls listening. Well, girl, uh, th- there's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's more than one. I know Megan's listening and, uh, well, she's not, but Megan is. And, um, Lauren is, I have probably a few others. Hey, so here's what I wanted to mention a thousand fans in the Omni. That's like, if you took a test in school and you got like a two. Like this is such a, a, a tiny, I can't imagine how demoralizing this must be Eric. And I know that a lot of our listeners say, well, I hate my job too. And I don't get to do this or that. And I got to wake up at so-and-so time. And I get all that, but I am saying you only know what you know in your life and you know, in your mind's eye, what you think it's like to be a professional wrestler. And yes, they're getting paid. Well, blah, blah, blah. I understand. But man, to come through the curtain. And to see 19,000 people dressed up as empty chairs and then a thousand people there with a smattering of applause, it has to be demoralizing. Oh my God. I can't imagine like people talk about that scene in the wrestler where you've got legends with a folding table and there's just no one coming and they talk about lonely Virgil. And I get that, that that's just like, is this really what I'm doing with my life? But I feel like it has to feel like that when you're sting and Davy boy and Sid and Vader and yeah, man, I'm making three, four, whatever, hundred thousand bucks a year. And and I, I am grateful for this job, but as I look around and no one's there, it's got to feel like for a minute, what am I doing? Right. It's soul crushing. And yeah, you, there were a lot of people making big money back then, but here's the thing about money. You get used to that. Right. When you, when you first get into big money, it's like, wow, the money's everything, but you're a performer. And when you go out and you show up at the Omni, this is the Omni and a thousand people come out. You have to look at yourself in the mirror and start to ask yourself, am I really a fraud? Right. Am I really worth this money? Am I kidding myself? Because nobody cares about my shit. And And, you know, your go-to, well, I should say the go-to for a lot of talent at that time, WCW, was they'd point fingers. Well, they didn't promote it enough. You know, they should have done this. They should have done that. I can't believe I got to the town and, you know, I went to the 7-Eleven and nobody even knew that there was a wrestling event. I've heard that same story a thousand times if I've heard it once in every company that I've worked for with. Um. Because as talent, you don't want to look in the mirror and go, you know what? I'm not as over as I think I am. And I'm not as over as I'm getting paid to be. It's demoralizing. And you start questioning yourself. After you're done pointing fingers at everybody else, deep down inside, when you get back to your hotel room and you look in the mirror at night, it's like, do I really deserve this check? And it's, it's, it can really, that's why, you know, now fast forward, you know, a year and a half from now, as things are starting to turn around, you know, I've often discussed how low the morale was in 93, 92. It was horrible. And part of it was because of this. Now, why 
my first question is, and it's a rhetorical one, but who the fuck decided to book the Omni? When you're not drawing anywhere else, you can't put 1,500 people in a small town in south in the southeast that normally doesn't get a lot of entertainment you can make a lot of excuses in atlanta Atlanta's a big city there's a lot of stuff going on omni was not necessarily the nicest place to be in that in, in that part of atlanta at that time you know you had the atlanta underground which is a tourist attraction but not a lot of people went downtown in atlanta at that time it's different now but at the time you know there's got to be a big reason to get you to go to the Omni and we weren't providing it. But, but the big question is who made that decision? Who sat down one day and said, Hey, we need to play the Omni. Well, how, how are we going to get people to come? Well, I don't know. We're just going to play it. Hopefully they'll come because it's at the Omni. I remember back in the day, we used to have this match and this match and we put 20,000 people in the Omni. Okay. There's some really piss poor decisions. Really piss poor decisions. So the shock match and, and it and it had a dramatic impact on talent and morale across the board. And here's the thing. I feel bad for Sid. I feel bad for Sting. I feel bad for Davy Boy. I, I not all time. I just mean in that moment. But buddy, it don't scratch the surface for the way it must have felt to be Fred Ottman when he was the shockmaster and <laughs> debuted in that now infamous angle. And you know what happened with the Shockmaster? He goes ass over tea kettle. It's on live TV. His helmet falls off. It's debuting a new character that looks like it had the the foresight of a quick trip down to the Walmart about three hours <laughs> earlier. And you can actually hear Sid go, "Oh God!" <laughs> the mic picks it up, and that moment, oh God, because Sid knows. First of all, this is a bust for our angle, but secondly, how bad and demoralizing it must feel to be Fred Ottman and look down at that ground and realize this is on TBS as his helmet tumbles. Is this top five, most embarrassing moment in wrestling? I wasn't embarrassed. I, I was shocked. I mean, for the shock master, like the, Oh, for the shock master. I'm sure it was. You know, because Fred Ottman, uh, I think Fred Ottman was Dusty's wife's brother, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, I think uh, he's Cody's uncle. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Um, so, it was not only, holy crap, I'm making my big debut here in this ridiculous gimmick, um, but then to crap the bed, <laughs> falling through the wall. Now, had I known then what I know now, we all know now I would have run over to Fred and said, Fred, I'm sorry. I would have said Shockmaster because I always call people by their gimmick names. This is a sign of respect. Shockmaster, don't worry about it because in about 25 years, you're going to be making money touring the country, showing up conventions, showing up at conventions with your Shockmaster helmet, making money, signing autographs. It would have mitigated the moment. It's Monday. You know what that means. This episode is sponsored by blue chew. Say it with us. Blue chew. Blue chew is making waves and bringing more confidence to the bedroom by offering chewable tablets that can help men get stronger and longer lasting erections. Blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form. 
and at a fraction of the cost. Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder and stronger erections to combat all forms of ED. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. Now, the process is simple. You'll sign up at bluechew.com, and then you'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, well, you'll receive your prescription within a few days. Now, the best part, it's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and the right strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? Well, that's no problem here. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA. They prepare and ship direct, so they're cheaper than a pharmacy. If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive your very first month for free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. I, uh, I've actually booked the Shockmaster. Um, and we had a, a backdrop made special for him that looked like he was bursting through that wall. Um, so. Fred's done really, really well with it. And of course, wrestle war is going to feature the Shockmaster, but now he's uncle Fred by the time we get to the show and he's teaming up with sting Davey boy, Dustin Rhodes, and they're going to take on Sid Vader and Harlem heat again. The, the, the rise of Harlem heat is just tremendous, but let's talk about the observer. The biggest news of the past week is that Sid vicious walked out on September 1st in Dothan, Alabama at a TV taping. Although at press time, it appears everything was worked out. Vicious, according to several on-site sources, refused to take a drug test and said he'd take it in a few weeks. Apparently he was told that he'd put it off long enough. And if he didn't take it, then he'd be fired. And before being fired, he just walked out instead. If it hadn't been rectified, it would have been a disaster since vicious was all over pre-tape TV and scheduled for the main event on the next two pay-per-view shows. And they already had ad slicks that had been sent out to the cable companies. So clearly this is a red flag. Do you remember hearing about this? That Sid just would not take the drug test. Probably, but I don't remember it. You know, I'm sure I was aware of it, but again, that wasn't my, my issue to deal with. So yeah, I was aware, but I didn't invest in it. You know, listen, this is not our place to talk about. I'm sure it's for other people to decide, but in my opinion, and I want to say that up front. I don't really see why there's drug testing here in professional wrestling. Now I'm not saying that we shouldn't care for our performers and we shouldn't do our best to protect their coworkers. But at the end of the day, if what we're talking about here is steroids and what I mean specifically is I don't reckon that Sid had a meth problem. Uh, he, he, he was taking performance enhancing drugs where performance doesn't actually impact anyone else. If I'm a professional fighter not a professional wrestler, not disparaging, but if I am punching someone with all of my might to try to knock them out and inflict real damage on their skull, then okay, we should be testing for that. I'm all for it in the UFC. I'm all for it in boxing, but in entertainment and wrestling, like I can't imagine if we drug tested the rock before his next movie or Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day, 
or, or Rocky Balboa and Sylvester Stallone or, or, or pick any number of uh, movie stars that we see today that are action heroes that go from looking quite average six months before a film to looking like bodybuilders within three to four or five months of shooting a movie. I mean, come on, let's be real. This shit still exists. There's not as much talk about it now because it was a hot topic back then. We're just look. We're learning. We're still coming off the heels of, or in the midst of, I guess, you know, the steroid trial. So it's a hot topic, hot piece of conversation. When was the last time you heard anybody writing about drug tests recently? Nobody's talking about it anymore. No. It's old news. Nobody cares. I agree with you. Um, look, steroids can be used very effectively. I want to time out right there. Replacement therapy can be used very effectively. You and I are not suggesting if you're listening to this and you want to be a pro wrestler that you go buy some shit in a fucking parking lot or at a gym. We are saying that if you're going to do it, moderation is the key to life. And as always, anything medical that's going on with your body, you should probably run that through a doctor. And if it's done with doctor supervision, I mean, I'm just saying, hypothetically, if I broke my arm, I wouldn't let a guy in the back of a gym or a parking lot, try to set it and put me a new cast on. I'd go to the fucking doctor. But a lot of these guys were getting these things done and, 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 and making these transitions with their body under doctor care. But then someone else arbitrarily says, well, you shouldn't be able to do this anymore because why? And, and again, I'm not advocating for steroids. I am just saying if I'm not inflicting damage on another human being with it, it's kind of my personal business, bro. What I'm doing. I mean, if, if that's the case, then we should also probably do some cholesterol checks on some guys and make sure that they're eating the right food. Oh, you get fried foods banned now in WW. That'd be a little silly and we'd all get on board with it, but that's that dude's choice, man. And at the end of the day, I'm just about, uh, do no harm to somebody else here. And, and I think in UFC and, and, and MMA and, and, and boxing, we should have a conversation about PEDs, but in wrestling seems much ado about nothing to me. Yep. And the same standards that apply in wrestling should also apply in movies and vice versa. Yeah. And they don't. So here we are wrestle war and war games. Uh, the eight man does happen with the, uh, Shockmaster Now, uncle Fred, he's going to get the win over Cole of Harlem heat. Uh, uh, that's Booker T with a bear hug and the observer gave it a star and a half. There are a few decent spots, but it was mainly standing around and easily the worst war games ever horrible camera work. Didn't help. And the finish epitomized the entire show. The Shockmaster grabbed Cole in a bear hug. Kane was right there looking at it and waiting for someone to stop him from making the save. It appeared this wasn't Smith's job or this was Smith's job, but he wasn't there. So Kane just looked like a guy there who was in a bad position and had no idea what to do. So we just looked and looked and looked until Smith finally grabbed him star and a half, just an all out mess. Uh, I, I know you don't remember the particulars of this match of whether or not Davy boy missed a spot, or maybe this was just. Stevie Ray being relatively new to the business and not knowing what to do. Maybe a combination of both. The match is not good, but the way it's written here, it certainly points the finger at Davy boy. In your opinion, had Davy boy lived up to the hype when he was first signed or had WCW maybe not made the most of his opportunity since he was probably the biggest star in Europe at the time. I think it's fair to say creative definitely dropped the ball on David. David was brought in specifically to build up as the face of WCW's international efforts. So you have to protect him. 
You have to showcase them. You have to put them in the most favorable light. And I think they traded they, when I say they, I mean the people in creative at that time was, I don't know if it was Bill Watts or Dusty or Ole or a combination thereof, whoever it was, um, treated them just like one of the rest of the roster, top guys at the, in, uh, at the top of the roster, but they didn't protect him and keep him unique to keep his value up the way he was intended to be used in the UK. That goes to, you know, what we talked about earlier, you know, throwing him in a tag, you know, regardless of how good the tag is, he's not a star. He's just one of four people in the ring. There's no spotlight on him. He's sharing the spotlight. It's a better way to say it. It's not that he wasn't a star, but he was sharing the spotlight. And by sharing the spotlight, you're absorbing less of that light individually. And I don't think Davey was used properly. He should have been used much more sparingly and not as often as he was being used and kept him special. That's how you keep stars stars by keeping them special and protecting them, not from themselves, but from overexposure or putting them into matches that really just don't matter because there's no, there's nothing behind it other than the fact that it happened. I, um, I just love talking about this era of WCW. It feels like a bit of a mess, but we get Halloween havoc. Halloween havoc's announced. The main event is going to be Sid versus sting, but it seems like there's maybe eventually going to be a confrontation with Parker attempting to try to sign stunning Steve Austin to his stable. And Sid's kind of arguing with Parker about it, which I guess could have been fun. Sid versus Austin. Um, and the turn begins on house shows where it's sting versus Sid main events. And Parker ends up holding Sid's legs down in a pin attempt when he thought it was stings. And that's a pretty ingenious way in hindsight of having Sid lose, but not really killing him off or hurting him. Do you know whose idea that would have been? That's a pretty creative finish. If I had to bet, I would bet that was Parker's idea. Cause that's, that's so Memphis and it's smart. That would unlikely came from anybody in charge of creative. Let's put it that way. So this idea comes to light Sid versus Vader to headline Starcade. We know that Sid is going to be a baby face, which is kind of fun to think about. Um, you got two of the biggest guys in the company banging over the WCW world title feels like a good idea. Uh, I guess the idea is, you know, we want to send them home happy. So had what's about to happen, not happened. Do you think Sid would have left Starcade 93 as the new champ? Perhaps. I don't know. I'd have to go back and see and, and, and try to get a feel for what else was going on at that time, but possibly. And he had all the ingredients, right? People were still very excited about Sid. The potential was definitely there. So, uh, let's get to, um, the observer because you know, what's coming. The observer reports that there's talk internally of putting Sid and Pillman together as a team. Meltzer thinks this must be a rib over all the squeegee talk. Do you remember ever hearing of Sid and, and, uh, and Pillman potentially being a tag team? I did not. That doesn't ring a bell again. Not saying it didn't happen. I wasn't in the circle, but I, I can st- I can see how it was thrown out there. I can see it. 
Let's Not talk that it's good, but I can, I can imagine it happening. Maybe starting out as a rib. That depends who else was in the, you know, I'm trying to think as you're describing this stuff and you're asking for my opinion about some of these things. Stylistically, it could have worked though. You know, like you got Stylistically, this- if there was great cooperation, it could have worked because Brian could have been flying all over and said, could have been the big muscle guy. I mean, the powerhouse, right? He could have come in for the big devastating kill and let Brian, you know, do the bumping and provide the dynamic visual effects. It on paper, it could have worked, but if Mike Graham was a part of the creative process, which he probably was during that time. I could see Mike Graham throwing that out there just because he was a little shit disturber. Well, they both had uh, the same haircut too. So that doesn't hurt. Yeah, uh, no. And I'm sure somebody said, Hey, maybe we can get a men's hair care sponsor for this match. Look at you. So mean gene debuts in WCW. His first interview is with the now baby face said we're taping, uh, after Halloween havoc and before Starcade. So this is before Halloween havoc happens, but it's going to air after this doesn't really happen like this anymore. How big of a pain in the ass was this in WCW where you would have to tape things. All right. This is going to happen to Halloween havoc, but this will air six weeks later. So go do this. It was miserable. You know, and and you really want to talk about misery. Now imagine shooting six weeks of television at Disney MGM studios. That's supposed to reflect stories that are happening live or almost live on Saturday night on TBS. Oh yeah. And you have to shoot some of these segments in advance and just hope that everybody, you know, stays healthy and doesn't breach your contracts or gets hired by somebody else or whatever, you know, fail a drug test, whatever. There were so many things that could go wrong when you're taping that far out in advance, but that's the way it used to be done. It was a nightmare. Well, here we go. Halloween Havoc, Sid's going to take on Sting. And uh, this is where the official Parker-Sid split takes place. Sting pins Sid Vicious in 1041 to remain the franchise. This was much better than their 91 Havoc main event and a lot better than expected. Sid sold a lot early and they brawled into the crowd. After Sting was distracted by Parker, Vicious gave him a choke slam to gain the advantage. Vicious took control and used a chair shot and dropped Sting throat first on the guardrail. Fans were chanting at that point, Sid, Sid, which the announcer said on air were chants for sting. Vicious slowed it down with long bear hugs. Sting came back with two stinger splashes. And at this point, Parker, while not looking, grabbed two legs, which he thought were stings, but were actually one leg of each. He held on to the Sid leg harder and sting had Sid pinned, but he kicked out. As Sid and Parker argued, sting came from behind with a rolling reverse cradle two and three quarter stars. So we're trying to get Sid ready for the world title main event against Vader, but we're having him lose here essentially to turn babyface. But as we know that match at Starcade never happens. Unfortunately, Arn and Sid get into a, a barroom confrontation overseas that ultimately leads to Sid going to Arn's hotel room, trying to further this discussion or confrontation, if you will. And eventually Sid stabs Arn with a pair of scissors. And we discussed this in length in our Arn episode. Uh, it's in the archive. So be sure to check that out. But we've had that discussion now. I don't know. Years ago. Wait a minute, wasn't it? Wasn't it Arn that stabbed Sid? Well, there's a broken table leg. There's uh, both guys are stabbed. There's blood okay. everywhere. Scissors right. are involved. There's, there's a piece of furniture. It's an ugly drunken brawl. There's blood everywhere. Uh, we've heard all about this from, from Vader and from too cold. And 
I don't think Aaron wants to relive it. I think he'd rather move on with life and Hey, good for him. Uh, he lived it. We didn't. And that had to be a pretty harrowing experience, but with the exception, and I'm not comparing, but with the exception of bruiser Brody, that's really the only time that I remember there being a true blue stabbing happening between one of the boys. Now, of course there's been riots and crazy fans who tried to get after Ole Anderson or what have you, but that is just not something through the normal course of business. You would ever expect to have a conversation about and, and just pretend for a minute. This isn't wrestling. You reckon down at the mortgage company, it would be just a regular Tuesday. If one guy stabbed another guy, <laughs> like this is not normal. No. And you're trying to run this thing and put it all together and make everybody happy. And you get the call. What, uh, is, is this, it feels like from a Turner situation, this is the worst possible scenario. Is it not? They don't want this getting out there. Yeah. To put it into perspective, Conrad, again, step back, take a look at a snapshot of where WCW was at that time. We're just coming off the bill Watts disaster, which was big. So, so big that it was WCW's last shot at survival. You know, the bill Watts incident and all of the controversy that was created by it. And it wasn't just what bill Watts said and the controversy in his interview with Wade Keller. Um, it was all of the things that led up to it financially, WCW was a freaking disaster financially. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was no reason for anybody to believe that WCW had any shot of becoming a profit center or even just breaking even. That was a distant fantasy at that point. Now you add on top of that, a lot of the issues that WCW had been having all the way up to the, the Bill Watts, you know, controversy. The only person in Turner broadcasting that was willing to give WCW one more shot was Ted Turner. Everybody around Ted wanted to pull the plug on WCW and they were justified in doing it. So we survived that Bill Shaw takes over operationally he's really running wcw before harvey schiller comes on board keep in mind bill shaw was a vp of human resources that's how sick wcw was that they decided to have somebody whose primary focus in the corporation was on human resources and how best to manage human resources and the issues that come out of that so we get we dodged that bullet we were warned one more misstep if this thing can't be fixed, even Ted's going to pull the plug. That's what all of us who were under contract at WCW at the time, um, and, and, and those of us who weren't, I, I was under contract, but a lot of talent wasn't, excuse me, a lot, of, a lot of employees weren't. And they were all in fear for their job. We went to work every day knowing if we screwed up one more time and we didn't turn this thing around, even Ted was going to pull the plug. Yeah. Their only advocate. So in that framework, now we've got two guys trying to kill each other overseas. It was horrible. It was a horrible situation. I, it was one that I weren't, I wasn't sure we were going to survive initially. 
I got the call. I was home at night because it happened over in Europe. I was, I don't know what time it was. I, I, I generally remember getting the call. I'm not even sure who called me. I want to say Doug Dillinger, but I could be wrong. on that. Uh, and I heard about it. I just I hung up the phone. I just, what, what next? It, it's like we're self-destructing. Everybody in the company is finding new and, and creative ways to fuck shit up. It was it was it was a frightening it was a frightening period of time because I didn't know how Ted Turner was going to react. I didn't know how Bill Shaw was going to react. So ultimately, we know what happens. Sid uh, gets his walking papers. Do you know how that happened? I don't. I'm sure I was involved in it at that point. Uh, it was really there were a lot of people involved in it. Myself, obviously, Bill Shaw. Clearly, Bill Shaw, it would have been his final decision, not mine, but I would have been involved in those discussions. How it was actually executed, I don't remember. Well, we know he winds up working for the WWF, even becoming a two-time WWF champion, main eventing WrestleMania 13 in Chicago against The Undertaker, and then he's going to bow out of the company not too long after that in 1997. He would pop up doing some ECW squash matches, getting some big pops there, but never really a focal point. And it's been said that Hall and Nash were guys who behind the scenes pushed to have Sid come back. Is that the way you remember it? They pushed to have Sid come back to WWF to WCW. Cause they're in WCW at this point in 1997. And I know he's not coming. Oh, I, back oh I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We just jumped from 93 to 97. Um, Oh, this is where you fly out of see him. So I'm just wondering, do you think it was them saying, Hey, what about Sid? It could have been, I don't remember that though, but somebody clearly, you know, would have had to make the initial suggestion. It wasn't me. I, I, I wasn't sitting at home one day or sitting in my office going, Hey, I got an idea. Let's bring Sid back. So it was, it was, somebody was the catalyst for it. I just don't recall it being Hall and Nash, but it could have been. So you told us the story near the top of the show about going, you know, flying your plane out to Arkansas and, and getting him to sit down and talk about being a country boy and all that jazz. Are you the person handling the financial piece at that point? Or is it just an easy deal to do? You've told us the story of how sometimes you just get together with a guy like macho man or, or Dennis Rodman and you make a deal very quickly. Is that the experience you had in Arkansas? No doubt. It was very easy. It was a very easy, stress-free negotiation. Sid didn't ask for too much. I was willing to pay Sid what I thought he was worth. And fortunately, that number was consistent with, with what Sid had in his mind. And look, I, Sid's, Sid's a smart guy. And I think Sid realized that given his history with WCW, he wasn't in a position to ask for more than he was probably worth. He was pretty happy with what we offered him. I don't remember what the number was, but it was significant. But it was a very, very, it was not, I wouldn't even consider it a negotiation. It was just discussion, a handshake, and off we went. And off we went indeed. Uh, the Observer reported for the record uh, on that account, while it shows that Anderson and Rick Flair have absolutely no power in the organization, the reports of Anderson okaying the deal are incorrect. The fact is that Anderson was never discussed with about the possibility of Sid coming in ahead of time. And the only reason he knew before Sid arrived in Baltimore was because Randy Savage had told him 
When Sid arrived, Anderson was told that if he wanted to, he could have nothing to do with him. I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking, well, what does that have to do with each other? Let's not forget the last time these guys saw each other, they tried to murder one another and Arn kept his job. Sid did not. I could see how there would be some tension with this, but it's written here that you didn't talk to Arn. Did it even cross your mind to talk to Arn? Probably not. Look, Arn was not guilt-free in this situation. Of course not. All right. Let's be honest. I love Arn. He's a member of the team. Don't want to say anything to piss him off. But it's an ugly time. I mean, this is not but, a good situation. But the truth is the truth. You know, Arn was not an innocent bystander in what went down. He wasn't a victim. This is two guys doing their thing, and that's unfortunate. And I had confidence that Arn would be professional. And I knew that I had confidence that Sid would be as well. So I guess I'm hesitating because I probably should have sat down and talked to Arn. Well, but at the the same time to look out for you and your, your role at the time, your job is not necessarily to make sure that everyone gets along. Your job is to make sure that WCW puts the best product possible forward and puts the best numbers possible on the books. And Sid at that point was probably going to be a primetime player. And unfortunately, Arn was on the tail end of his in-ring career and probably at that point done with professional wrestling. And we don't, we might not have known that then, but we know it now. And that's not to say that he wasn't a contributor behind the scenes, but this feels like you're in the unenviable spot of now, Hey, WWF's kind of kicking our ass. We got to do what we got to do to pull the nose up on this thing. So you make a greater good call, but I appreciate you saying in hindsight, maybe you should have, but it also feels like even if it wasn't necessarily your job, someone in HR probably should have had that conversation with Arn from a Turner perspective, again, not putting the onus on you, but someone should have rather than no, no, no. I mean, I appreciate that. Again, what year are we talking about? 1999. Yeah. It should have been me. It shouldn't have been someone from HR, Turner, HR, Turner, HR basically laid the, the ground rules. I had my policy. I knew what the parameters were. I knew how to handle things from a Turner corporate perspective, but there was nothing in the handbook about two guys that stabbed each other. So I was kind of winging it. And I'm not sure if I would have sent Arn or Sid to HR to have a little consultation before everything went, came together. Uh, I'm not too sure HR would have known how to deal with that. It really should have been me. But, you know, and again, I'm not, not going to let myself off the hook completely, but I wasn't concerned about it either. I had a lot of confidence in Arn that he'd be professional. And I, I, I was equally convinced that Sid had, you know, let bygones be bygones is ready to just come back to work. So I just wasn't worried enough about it to feel the need to sit down and address it. Sid's return is met with uh, indifference from Dave Meltzer. He called it desperation sinking in the WCW to bring him back for the great American bash 1999 in Baltimore. Did you have any concerns about Sid no showing? I mean, he had been notorious for this through his career. And as we said earlier, fans were even chanting 
or singing along, take me out to the ball game. Not a concern with you and your visit with him. No, no, you know, when I said, you know, when I did have discussions with Sid early on, there was always an excuse, a reason justification. And there was enough nonsense that was going on in WCW that was sometimes hard not to blame talent for reacting to certain things because management sucked in WCW. I mean, for a long time, and there were things that weren't handled correctly. So it was all, it, it was sometimes difficult to find fault with people um, over certain situations. Now I'm going back, not 1999, but I'm going back to some of the other things that, that happened with Sid as far as no showing. That's specifically what I'm referring to. Uh, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned with it. So according to the uh, data we could find, he signs on June 9th, which is just four days before the pay-per-view. It's a three-year deal that you guys negotiated there in West Memphis, Arkansas, 800 grand for the first year. 850 for the second year, 900 for the third year, and a $50,000 bonus for each pay-per-view appearance. And Sid's going to interfere in the main event of Randy Savage and Kevin Nash for the world title. He hits Nash with a high kick and power bomb. Sid is going to leave with Randy and team madness. Boy, pretty big deal. Pretty big way to debut him in a title match with, uh, some top guys here in Kevin Nash and Randy Savage. The next night on yeah, night, too bad. It wasn't a year sooner, you know? In 98, it would have been more valuable. In 97, early 98, I think it would have had a much, much better impact. Because even by this time in 1999, man, the wheels were wobbling. They're flying off. Every time you try to turn a corner, you'd lose another wheel. Um, It was was bad. But I think that same composition, creatively, would have had a much more significant impact if it had happened a year sooner. The next night on Nitro, we would see Nash challenge Sid to a match in the main event. Sid accepts, but oh, the irony, he doesn't show up. Uh, so Savage brawls with Nash instead. Sid actually does come out. They're beating on Nash, and here comes Sting to make the save, and off the air we go. And you comment at the time. Uh, this is directly from the Observer. Bischoff, when asked about Arn Anderson's feelings on him signing Sid, said that while Anderson may be personally uncomfortable, this is business, and from a business standpoint, Anderson said he'd do whatever he had to do. Bischoff said of Sid, quote, it became clear to me he's matured over the past five years. He realizes the mistakes in and out of the ring and recognizes the tremendous opportunity he has here. So far, he has conducted himself very professionally. I've got all the confidence in the world that he's learned from his mistakes. And if it doesn't work out, Sid's options are really limited. I think he's matured to the point that he understands that. Man, that's pretty straight up right there where you're able to say in an, in an interview or some sort of uh, public forum, Sid's options are really limited. Like it's true. This is your last spot, bud. So let's make it work. And I guess he did. Yep. You know, and I mean, that's just, you know, I've been stuttering, stammering here for the last 20 minutes discussing why I wasn't really concerned about the professional behavior of either Arn or Sid. And I think, that interview did a better job than I've done this morning of covering, covering that. I mean, it was what it was. Look, Arn was lucky to keep his job. Arn kept his job primarily because of Ric Flair. During the stabbing, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they were both in a position where neither one of them wanted to jeopardize their livelihoods. 
it probably has more weight and, and more credibility to ensure that they're both going to behave professionally than just about anything I could say or do. So, yeah, I was, that's why I felt as comfortable as I felt. What are they going to do? At one of the last big nitros at the Superdome, Sid and Savage and Team Madness, boy, they're all over the show. They get out of the Humvee, yes, that Humvee, and attack Kidman and Psychosis, and Sid takes on Sting in the main event. It's a DQ schmoz finish with Luger and Savage involved, and uh, Nitro draws another big house in Chicago in late June for Sid versus Scott Putzky in the semi-main event. God, that's, I forgot all about that, Conrad. Scott Putzky, that was an interesting experience. Fans are chanting noticeably here for Goldberg. Did you already have the win streak idea in mind for Sid or did the fans help with that when they start chanting Goldberg at him? Well, I think it was, <clears throat> I think we already had it in our mind. I mean, cause that worked, it worked once, right? Let's yeah. not do that. Let's do that again. Come on. We could make that magic happen twice. That was probably, probably more the case than anything else. The, a big part of this show, Rick and Arn are in the ring and Rick at the time is president of WCW. Rick's going to call out Savage and Sid to join forces against the babyface Kevin Nash. And when Sid gets in the ring, Arn walks over to the corner and is away from everyone. When the segment is finished, Sid walks over to Arn and shakes his hand. It's never acknowledged by the announcers, but some of the crowd notices and reacts to it. Was this scripted or did it just happen that way? Because it comes off. If you know what's going on is pretty special. Not scripted. I think that was something. No, I don't even want to. I, I don't know if Sid and Aaron talked about it beforehand or if it just happened in the moment. But to my knowledge, at least, no, I didn't lay out matches. I never have. It's never been my thing. Um, but I would probably guess it was something that both Sid and Aaron talked about. But I could be wrong. Aaron would know. At Thunder, I, 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 go ahead. No. We'll ask him at thunder and Shreveport. We've got Savage and Sid actually putting over buff Bagwell and Dean Malenko in the main event, but it's a DQ finish because Savage hits Nick Patrick, but it's reported in the observer that buff started some shit afterwards because he didn't want to put Sid over. And then Malenko got hot about it because he never gets a win and does all the work, but buff gets all the wins. The idea that you get Dean Malenko fired up means you've pushed too many buttons. Would you agree with that? If that's true, yes. I don't know that that was true. That's again, Dave Meltzer speculating about an incident that he was not at, he was not witness to. So let's keep in mind that that's Dave Meltzer's reporting, not necessarily fact. Sid and Nash is announced as the next main event for the next Nitro. It's at the Georgia Dome. Now we're six months away, almost to the day from the now infamous finger poke of doom. Now the finger poke of doom show drew 38,809 fans. This show draws 25,338 fans. It's the day after 4th of July, which is what some people would, would blame the turnout on, but we are 13,000 people down in just six, six months. I want to be clear. $25,000 or 25,000 folks is one hell of a house. This is also the last time WCW would ever draw 25,000 people. This is their last really big show, but it being down 13,000 from six months prior, not the best sign 
but you just sort of said a minute ago, the wheels were already coming off by this point, right? No, the wheel, the wheels started wobbling in 98. Yeah. Okay. That's when they really, you know, you've driven a car before other when the front ends out of alignment Yeah. you're driving down the highway, you hit a certain speed. Once you get about 65 miles an hour, you can feel it in the, in the, in the steering wheel. That was 1998. By this time in 1999, it was like, holy shit, how am I going to keep this thing on the road? Oh, whoa, it's, it's steering itself. No, it was bad by then. And I, you know, I mean, you could use the finger poke of doom as kind of a time reference. If there was a suggestion that it was because of the finger poke of doom, I would argue that that's nonsense. It was because overall, creatively, we were just outside of our game. We were not in the game by the middle of 1999. By the first part of 1999, we were in trouble. By mid-1999, it was really bad. And by September of 1999, I was gone. So, yeah, it was a bad time. And that ref- was a reflect. I mean, it was reflected in all of our business units. TV ratings were down. Guess what? TV ratings are down. Pay-per-views are down. Guess what? Live events are down. Guess what? Merchandise is down. All of the business units within WCW were all suffering dramatically by 19, by the middle of 1999. So Sid versus Nash, the main event of this Georgia dome show goes a minute and 26 seconds. It ends with savage, the NWO sting and the real sting coming out. Nash ends up power bombing the real sting savage in the back slaps Tori Wilson and throws gorgeous George across the room. Holy shit. I can't believe this aired on Turner TV. Um, time, right? uh, it's announced that bash at the beach's main event will feature the WCW title on the line in a tag match. It's Nash and sting versus Sid and Savage. The title will only change hands if Nash is pinned. So now the big belt here is determined in a tag match. We just talked earlier about how we didn't love tag match main events. And here we are doing another one with a beach theme this time for the belt. No wonder they send me home. (laughs) (laughs) Bash at the beach, 99 Fort Lauderdale. Randy Savage wins the WCW title, beating Kevin Nash. Gorgeous George is going to turn on Savage and Sid early uh, before rejoining them and then turning on Nash to set up the finish. Meltzer says George went into the ring to give Nash a low blow. Her first low blow came nowhere close. Nash didn't sell and she froze. Nash stood there and waited. And finally she hit him with another one. Sid then body slammed Nash and dropped him in the wrong position, making it even a harder angle for Savage to hit the elbow for the pin. Nash and sting did shake hands after the show went off the air in front of the crowd, negative one star at this point. Is this the worst experience you've had in WCW? Like bash at the beach 99. It's gotta be like, oh, just get me out to Cody. Let me go fishing. Yeah, I wasn't thinking that at all. I was thinking far darker things than that by this point. Yeah, it was ugly. And was it the worst time? Yes, without question, this period of time in 1999 was absolutely not only the worst period of time in WCW, it was one of the worst periods of time of my life. I mean, emotionally, physically, Professionally, it was just ugly. It was miserable. I used to dread having to go to work every day 
dreaded it. And, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to belabor it, you know, and talk about it more than I already have in previous shows, but yeah. the, the, the issues creatively and in, in terms of television were a walk on the beach compared to the issues that were taking place behind the scenes corporately. And to have to try to fight on both of those fronts simultaneously with the lack of support, I'll, I'll call it abandonment by WCW or by Turner management. Um, they fed us to the wolves just, and now, you know, looking back, actually reading Guy Evans book and hearing interviews from people who were instrumental to, to eventually what happened with WCW at a much more senior level than me. It's a, it's apparent there was, there were people within Turner corporate that wanted WCW to blow up. And I'm not going to suggest, I'm not going to go quite so far, although I'm going to get real freaking close to suggest that a lot of the decisions that adversely affected me from a management position, not personally, but running WCW were designed to help us implode so that people could finally get WCW off out of the, the, the corporate catalog. That was the intent when Ted Turner started WCW, there were plenty of people that didn't want to do that. There were plenty of people from the day after WCW became a thing in Turner that throughout the early nineties, the Bill Watts era and all the other things that went wrong and the amount of money that was being lost. There were a lot of people on the Turner executive committee that were trying to convince Ted probably on a regular basis to pull the plug on WCW and free up some of that valuable television real estate. Um, I'm convinced, like I said, after reading Guy Evans' book, that while it may not have been a well-defined strategy, there was certainly nothing going on in, in Turner Corporate Management that suggested to me that anybody wanted us to survive or succeed. It was horrible. And to see, to see something that went from down here in the gutter, which is where WCW was from day one, to rise to the level we did in 97 and 98 at this point, only a year previous, and then to be just dive bombed um, by mid 1999. It was just personally, it was devastating. To me. The very next night, uh, Savage is going to drop the title to Hogan. It's Hulk's return. Uh, Sid is going to pin Kenny chaos. And it feels like we're, we're trying to head towards Sid versus Hulk. I say that because Sid comes out and interferes in the Hogan Savage match and he attacks Hogan. But for some reason, there's not a DQ called sting attacks. Sid saves Hogan. Hogan gets the win. He's our new champ. And it looks like we're programming Sid and sting again, even though he attacked Hogan. And even though fans are chanting Goldberg at Sid. Why did Sting and Sid, did they just really like working with each other? What's the thinking there? Yeah, I think so. I think there was good chemistry there. There was trust there. Um, look, at Sid was a guy that you could, he could help get you over. I mean, so yeah, I, I from what I remember, there, there was, there was a lot of support and respect between Sid and Sting. I don't ever recall hearing anything on the contrary. 
Let's get to it here. Another amazing nitro finish happens. Rockford, Illinois sting beats flair in eight minutes and 40 seconds. He's won the company. I did a false finish where Sid interfered leading to flair, putting the figure four, but sting kicks out. It's mainly flair and Anderson selling for sting. Like he's God himself. Sting is no selling for flair. All while Bischoff is blaming flair for keeping sting and the rest of the talent down the last 10 years, There's something in the picture that doesn't make any sense. Sting was dead two weeks ago. And after doing two weeks with flair, he's over like a superstar. Next thing you know, they'll put dusty out there for commentary and he'll complain about the referees getting pumped in every single match. This match had three ref bumps alone before Bischoff ran in and ruled that sting was the winner as flair was in the scorpion and Mickey J was down having been bumped a second time. The reason there was so much hesitation in making the call and ringing the bell is that flair was supposed to win due to Sid's help as late as one hour before the show started, but they changed it without telling anyone. So they all froze for a second when Bischoff signaled Hudson played it pretty well, but the guy ringing the bell wouldn't ring it. Figuring the Bischoff thing was a swerve. The crowd went nuts for the finish. Sid attacked sting and power bomb Bischoff until Hogan showed up and Sid took a powder. I bet you don't remember much of this except the power bomb. Or do you remember, uh, calling for the bell and nobody really knowing what to do? I don't remember that part of it. Uh, so, so, but I'm not going to deny it <clears throat> um, or suggest that that's not accurate because I'm not sure. I do remember the power bomb because I over rotated. Mm. And to this day, I have a little bit of a difficult time looking to my left. It's never, never gone away. From that power bomb. From that power bomb, yeah. It's the only, and I'm not going to attribute it solely to that. It may have been something else, but. That night, I remember because I went backstage. Now, I'll, I will also tell you that when I took that power bomb, I didn't feel anything. Nothing. I didn't feel like anything went wrong. Right. I knew I over rotated, and I knew I landed more on my neck than I should have, but it didn't hurt then, and it didn't hurt the next day. A little bit, you know, achy neck, but nothing structural. But a couple months afterwards, it's like I'd wake up in the morning and God. Dang, my neck hurts, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I thought maybe I just laid on my neck wrong, or and eventually it wouldn't go away. I went to a chiropractor. They went, oh, well, what do you, what do you do in your spare time? <laughs> Ride bulls? What? No, and it occurred to me because a couple guys, you know, Hulk came up to me. I remember, and I think Rick Steiner came up to me afterwards. A couple of guys that saw it went, "Oh, dude, you almost died." And, you know, to me, I was oblivious. I said, oh, man, it was, it was fine. I, I don't feel a thing. Well, I felt a thing a couple of days later, a week later, and I still feel a thing today. That was my fault. It wasn't Sid's fault. It was my fault. Sid and, wrestle, uh, Sid and Sting wrestle in the main event. It ends in a DQ. Nash interferes. It sounds like there's a plan for Sting versus Sid at Road Wild. Uh, and the next week in Memphis, it's Nash and Sid, who I guess are both heels, and they're taking on Hogan and Sting. Um, Meltzer would say the match had super heat, even though Sid was missing spots all over the place to the point it made Nash look like a good worker. And the observer would report the original plan was for Sid to take on chase Tatum. But during the show, you switched it to have Sid team with Nash instead of Rick Steiner. Did this sort of thing happen all the time where you're making calls and adjustments on the fly. I'll have to talk to Kevin about this, you know, cause I'll see Kevin in Dallas next week, but I think Kevin was booking this at that point. Okay. I'm not sure. 
I'm not, I'm not fading the heat because whatever shit that you saw was under my watch and I have to take responsibility for it. But in terms of the detail of laying out a mask like that and, and making a change on the fly, if it was the latter part of 1999, I, I, I kind of handed it over to Kevin, I believe. So the, uh, the Goldberg Sid program starts with Goldberg and Steiner attacking Goldberg with a shovel, which leads to Goldberg getting his gigantic knot on his back of his head, along with a bad cut. It feels like Goldberg just had bad luck with these gimmicks in WCW, whether it's the limo window or, or this spot here. Yeah, but that was self-inflicted. Come on. Goldberg put his own fist through a window. Well, I said, look, damn near cut it. Damn near cut his arm off in the process. I'm arguing that. Uh, let's talk about, uh, where we are from here. It's Goldberg and Sid on the road as the main events of the house shows Goldberg's winning in all of them. At this point though, we're considering Sid is about to be the millennium man and have an undefeated streak. Is this short-sightedness? Like if we know we're going to go with a streak thing, should we have let all fans all over the country see Goldberg beat him like this? You know, there's a, there's, I guess, different philosophies about that, you know, do you give fans at the live events something different than what they see on TV or should it remain consistent? Um, I don't know that there's a right answer. I, I would, if, if I had to choose one, I would probably stay consistent with television, but there's also a, a, a philosophy that says, you know, let the house shows be the house shows. Yeah. So I don't recall what went into that decision at the time, but. I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been against doing something different in a live event than what we're going to be seeing on television. I wouldn't have been against it. Well, let's talk about where we are here. Um, the last pay-per-view, uh, before you're reassigned, I guess road wild, 1999 Sid versus sting is a featured match. Uh, they're going to go 10 minutes and 40 seconds. Meltzer would say that Sid is now the 40 year old millennium man. They were pushing the entire match. How Sid had a winning streak that rivals Goldberg's old streak. And they wonder why people are sick of their announcers and their product. First of all, except for squash matches, Sid hasn't beaten anyone on TV as all of his matches are DQ finish. Second, with only one or two exceptions, he's lost every match he's had on the house shows. At least with Goldberg, it got over early on because they were doing a number with fantasy, but at least the guy really won all of his matches with the internet. So prevalent, you can't pretend the house show results don't happen. And even forgetting about that audience, you can't have one DQ after another on nitro and sell people on the fact that there's a winning streak. Anyway, to their credit, Sid did a one match winning streak, pinning sting clean <laughs> sting hit two stinger splashes, went for a third Sid caught him and choke slammed him. They did play it up as a huge deal because Sid beat sting and that got him ready for Goldberg. The two did more than you'd think in this match star and a half. I guess some fair criticism from, from Dave here. What say you? No, I, I would agree. You know, finishes at that point were afterthought planning ahead. Wasn't didn't, there was no plan ahead. We were booking by the seat of our pants and booking from week to week. So the, the, the criticism from, from Dave at this point was fair. 
Well, uh, it's going to be a big deal, you know, for Sid to get a clean win like this, uh, Sid and Goldberg run together for a few weeks before you're let go and you return to WCW in 2000. But there's one noticeable thing that takes place on the relaunch of WCW. Uh, it's got, you know, you and Russo, you attempt to make a joke out of Sid with the squeegee line, but you had to say it twice because no one popped for it. In hindsight, maybe not the best moment you guys had on camera together, but you and Sid don't really work together much after the relaunch. What was Sid like when you returned to the company? I mean, obviously you brought him in as the big boss. Now you're coming back in and well, things are different and weird. Um, It it didn't matter. I I've always had a good, and still do to this day. You know, I see Sid a couple of times a year and he's always very gracious and, and, we have a great conversation. So nothing changed. I never had a bad relationship with Sid. I've always had a good relationship with Sid, you know, from, from the time I brought him back again, previous to that, I didn't really deal with him much, but uh, when I brought him back and we shook hands and made a deal and turned into a contract and an opportunity, I've always, always had a good relationship with Sid. Like I say, still do to this day. Towards the end of WCW, Sid had that horrific leg injury that we've all covered in the archives on WCW Sin. Do you think that's the worst injury you ever saw in wrestling? Yes. Well, Bagwell's Bagwell's was scarier. Yeah, because you you so thought a guy wasn't going to walk. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we weren't sure he was going to ever be able to do anything from the neck down. So that was more frightening. But the leg was like, oh, even like just thinking about it now is like awful. Fuck. That was horrible. It was horrible. I remember sitting at the table. I was backstage. We didn't have a really a gorilla position per se, not like WWE never does. But we had an area, and I'm back watching this on the monitor, and I'm seeing it. I'm thinking, oh my God, they're not going to replay this, are they? They're not going to replay this. Oh, they are. Oh my God, this is horrible. I don't even want to look at it now. It's how bad it was. Oh, but it wasn't scary. It was just grotesque. Man, there's a lot that we can talk about with Sid. You know, I, I, we, we've tried to be fair to him today. I hope we've done him justice. But just in your opinion, what do you think of Sid as a draw, a worker? Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? I do. I do. I do because of the impact that he had in WWE and, you know, he's a six time world heavyweight champion, right? Two in WWE, two in WCW and two in USWA been around since 1987. When did he retire? 2012. It's a hell of a career yeah. at a pretty high level. Wrestled some of the biggest names in the industry had an impact. Was he the best worker in the, in the business? No, he wasn't. Was he one of the most memorable characters in the business? Yes, he was. So that in and of itself, I think makes him whole thing worthy. Well, we've got a bunch of questions here. Um, most of them are about, you know, whether or not Sid would beat Vader at Starcade. I think we probably clicked that, but I do want to ask Tony flowers question. He says in WCW is Sid, perhaps the biggest example of all the potential in the world, but it never quite got over as well as you would have hoped. It seemed like he checked every single box except quote is willing to do anything to succeed. I don't know that I would agree with that last part, but I do think he was a big star. He may have invented two WrestleManias, super big star, but I do think he could have been even bigger. I agree. I agree. And I think 
lack of creative support and direction was just as big of a problem for Sid. At least it was in WCW. Can't speak to WWE. But in WCW, had the right people had their hands on the wheel with a, with a vision for Sid and protecting him from himself, meaning putting him in the right position at the right time with the right person and not treating him like everybody else. Um, I think he could have been a much bigger star. I think part of it was Sid. I'm going to take it, you know, I mean, look, we all take personal responsibility for our own shit, either our success or our failure and all the stuff in between. Part of that was on Sid. But I think a large part of it, at least in WCW, was on the creative support that he had. A couple more questions, then we'll wrap this one up. Jacob can't help himself. He wants to know, Eric, you ever play softball with Sid? No. You know why I never play softball with Sid? You know why I never play softball, period? Why? I hate softball. I hate it. You got heat with softball. I got serious. Look, I was a little kid in Detroit. I'm talking seven, eight years old. No sob story here, but my dad was paralyzed right. when I was a kid. Had no use of his arms or his hands. So I had nobody to teach me the game of baseball. I didn't have an older brother. I didn't have any cousins that lived near me that were older. Nobody taught me how baseball is played at seven or eight years old. But everybody in my neighborhood wanted to play softball. So, of course, I wanted to play with my friends. And one day, I remember I was playing softball at Dort Elementary in East Point, Michigan. And I got chosen to be the pitcher. All right. Now, as a kid who didn't understand that the job of the pitcher is to throw the ball in such a way that the batter can't hit it. I didn't know that part. I thought, well, when I watch baseball, I like to see people hit home runs. So I'm guessing at the young age of seven or eight that my job, since I was picked to be pitcher, was to throw the ball in such a way that the guy at the plate could swing the bat, hit the ball, and get a big-ass home run because that's what people enjoy when they watch baseball, right? People stand. They cheer. I thought that was my job. So I'm lobbing this softball. Dort Elementary School. It's where Eminem went to school, by the way. Google it. And I'm throwing this, and boom, boom. I'm doing a fucking great job as a pitcher, man. People are so boom, boom. Until this older kid came up to me. I think he played second base. He said, give me that damn ball, kid. Just give me the ball. And I said, well, can I play outfield? He said, you can play off field. I'll never forget it scarred me for life. I have never played a game of softball, not in college when all my friends were playing softball, not intramurally, never. I can barely watch it on television anymore. Scar tissue, brother, scar tissue. It's a tough thing to get over. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. I feel better. I'm able to shed that skin, that scar tissue that's been following me around since I was Almost 60 years now. 
I've been having to live with that. Maybe now I can live out the rest of my life without the burden of carrying that memory. Thanks to you and everybody at 83 weeks. I don't mean to be a dick, <laughs> but <laughs> saying uh, off field is a great fucking line. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I'm not making it up. I swear to God, I'm not making it up because I didn't know what I did wrong, but off field is a funny line. I said, can I play outfield? He said, you can play off field. It's a great line. That was it. I walked home. Like, what the fuck did I do wrong? I let him hit the ball. People like that. Shit. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Oh my gosh. One last question. This is a real one. Then we'll get out of here. Uh, ad free shows. Top guy Eros wants to know, assuming the injury never happened and you were able to relaunch WCW your way. Would Sid have been figured into your plans? And if so, how would you have utilized him? Yes, he would have fit into my plans because I enjoyed working with Sid despite some of the challenges. Um, and he was heads and tails. I mean, visually, he just had everything. But I knew enough about Sid and working with Sid at that point. I would have absolutely been a part of the plan, um, but I would have worked real hard to protect him. And I would have used him very sparingly in the right situations at the right time. Sid is an attraction. You know, certainly... Certain, you know, Hulk Hogan was an attraction. It's one of the reasons Hulk Hogan had such a great career. He was positioned as an attraction. Andre the Giant was an attraction. Um, Sid needed to be handled like an attraction, not like a member of the roster, if that makes sense. Boys and girls, now we're going to go ahead and tell you what's coming up next week. But before we do, I want to remind everybody about something we're doing, Eric. I'm talking about adfreecares.com. We've made the decision to go out and donate 100% of the profits for all of our t-shirts to St. Jude's children's research hospital. That's right. 100% of everything that is made on these t-shirts, not $1 goes to Eric, not $1 goes to Conrad. It all goes directly to St. Jude's. And by the way, we've dropped the prices on our shirts. I want you to go to Adfree shows, or I'm sorry, adfreecares.com. That's adfreecares.com. Eric Bischoff, Jeff Jarrett, Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and myself. We're not making any t-shirt money this year. We're giving it all to St. Jude's. Now, before we made this adjustment, our shirts were like $24.99. Now they're $17.99 and every single nickel of profit goes directly to St. Jude's. So we hope that you'll take a look adfreecares.com. Not only will you get a really cool looking shirt, or at least one we hope you like. We hope you'll wear it around and and, and let everybody know that you enjoy the podcast, but we hope most of all that you'll consider buying a shirt because you know that 100% of the proceeds go directly to St. Jude's. This is something we've been working on for a while now, Eric, and I'm glad we're finally getting to do it here. St. Jude is such a great organization. You know, when you've got terminally sick children or or potentially terminally sick children and, and parents that don't have anywhere to turn or the money to get the kind of care that their children need. St. Jude is a hospital that offers that care and support at absolutely no cost to the parents, not airfares, nothing. And I, one of my favorite charities. So grateful to be able to participate in anything that raises any amount of money for St. Jude. And I encourage people listening to the show, do your own research, by the way, if you don't believe me, uh, take a look at what St. Jude does. If you don't know the story, you should. Great, great charity. And so proud to be able to be a part of anything that contributes to them. 
Check it out. Adfreecares.com. Next week, we'll be back doing a nitro watch along. Our 25 year look back continues. This one was a show. I was at Eric. It's April 7th, 1997 in Huntsville, Alabama, right down the street from my house here, the Von Braun civic center. Uh, we're coming off spring stampede, which had DDP and Randy Savage, but there's turmoil in the NWO. Hulk's had a movie premiere instead of spring stampede with Dennis Rodman. And we'll start the build to slam with Kevin Nash, or I'm sorry, Kevin green, Roddy Piper and Ric Flair. That's all next week. Uh, it's kind of fun to think about. Eric was in my town right up the road from where I live now. And here we are talking about it. So maybe that's isn't a that crazy. For me, isn't, time, isn't time a, just a funny thing. It's crazy, awesome. dude. Who would have thought, you know, at the time my house wasn't the house I'm talking to you from now wasn't here. But you probably went down this road and had no idea. Hey, I'm going to stay up there one day with a guy who does a podcast. What's a podcast? Is he going to yell at me? <laughs> yes, he is. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun next week and we're going to keep the fun going on Friday, May 20th. We're going to be doing an 83 weeks live from Oshkosh. Both myself and Eric Bischoff will be live in the Oshkosh, uh, time community theater. It's an exclusive live 83 week show tickets are just 30 bucks. They're on sale right now at acwwisconsin.com. The next day on the 21st, we're at the ACW water city wrestling con, uh, both Eric Bischoff, Dan Housen, Malachi black, the Godfather, so many more. They're all there available for you to pick up now at acwwisconsin.com. That's acwwisconsin.com. Of course you get all our shows early and ad free at adfreeshows.com. But we hope that you'll make plans to join us in just a couple of days in Dallas at Gillies. It's super show live. It's Eric Bischoff. It's William Regal. It's Jeff Jarrett. It's myself. You don't want to miss it. And you want to make sure you get it on pay-per-view. Even if you're there, you want that Jeff Hardy trading card at supershowlive.com. We'll be back next week and every week right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.